Welcome to Rhea Radio, episode number 48 with Andre Smith. Done. Yeah. Good <laughs> was job. That spiky? No, it was good. Okay. It's because Dennis is an Owen fanboy, so he always wants to put you. He's like, oh, let's see, let's see what Owen sounds like. He talks the whole podcast, Dennis. <laughs> I get I, I get the intro yeah, I get yeah, I get the intro and, like, I no. get, and I get a few things I get to say and, and, and Owen gets the whole rest of the podcast. Okay, hey, now I have the intro. Also, sorry. You're listening to Rio Radio, the nationally trusted name in real estate investing. We dig deep to discover investors' why in real estate. If you want to skip all the BS and get in investors' heads, you're in the right spot. Be one of the thousands to check out RiaRadio.com. It's all good, buddy. I like this is, you. This is the slow play on how I take over. This is a hostile takeover. You just don't realize it yet. You know what? If uh, if it came down to you and me, I would just go ahead and give you the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. But the feedback is still so good. It would get. not be the same. It would not be the same. Hey, so anyway, uh, I'm sitting here with one of my best friends, Owen Dashner and Denless Bertrand, and we just got done recording with Andre Smith. Andre 3000. I didn't call him that, but I'm sure he's been called that a bunch of times. I think you called him Andre Savage. <laughs> no, that was you calling it you calling Terry Shannon Fred Savage. Oh, that's right. I'm getting them all mixed up now. It's a little savage. <laughs> but today we had our first professional sports player on. And we had to completely rearrange the room in order to fit his <laughs> six foot eight frame into here. Yeah, yeah. We were playing footsie on because I had to keep on stretching out my legs because I th- sometimes I think I'm got... RLS. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm you know, I'm not tiny, but I'm like trying to stretch my legs out and I, I keep on putting my, my feet on top of his feet and he looks at me all like what are you doing buddy (laughs) well i mean you i didn't know him beforehand you did so i had no idea what you guys had going on well it's kind of like last last or two weeks ago when we had terry shanahan on yeah and i had no idea what i was walking into Mm -hmm. and uh and then so give you guys a little background story uh i met andre at at the real estate meetup and we had him and then uh his business partner sam he's like introduce me and Sam's like, man, you got you got to get Andre on the podcast. And I, of course, you and I, we get that literally almost every day yeah. or every time we're at a meet, meet up now. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. He's like, man, he goes, his story is is impactful, and and it's gonna be it's gonna be good radio. And Andre's like, oh man, no, no, no. He goes, and he was really modest. He's like, nobody wants to hear what I gotta say. Yeah, he's very humble, modest. Like he's not he's not super comfortable or out like, you know, just throwing all that out there like here's what I've done and yeah, he downplayed a lot of it, but he's done some I mean, everybody wants to hear about professional athletes, right? And he's de- he played overseas for how long? 9 years. 9 years. Yeah. That's bananas. And he's lived in multiple different countries, played for a bunch of different teams, didn't speak a lick of another language while he lived over there, which is pretty interesting. And if I remember right, I think he said he's made everything from like 30,000 to 800,000 a year. Yeah, oh my doing, god. Doing European basketball. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, and he's been yeah, he's been everywhere. I mean, Germany, Japan, Italy, uh where, where else did he play? Uh, Switzerland, Switzerland. Yeah, he said Switzerland yeah, was awesome. Uh, I mean, I don't even know. There was he played everywhere. Yeah, Tur- Turkey maybe. I think yes, he said once. yeah. yeah. Oh, Pol- Poland, non- Poland. Oh, yeah. Did he took a non Turkey contract? Was it that? Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Walked away from a 400k contract because he had his kids. His story's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So great story. He he comes out of St. Paul, Minnesota. 
um, which my dad's side of the family is all from. So I, I definitely love that area. I never even asked him if he was a Vikings fan or not. But, uh, uh, you know, one thing that he hits in a story, you know, we part of the reason of this why is our kids. You guys know this. And it's family and it's giving back. And what he's going to get into this, but what he has done for his family and, and changing trajectory uh, that they are going was probably one of the most impactful things I heard about the story. Oh, yeah. And it, it wasn't just his immediate family. Like this is, well, I mean, it wasn't like his wife and kids and that was what we're talking about. We're talking about, you know, like sister and like, wasn't it uncle cousins. and something? Yeah, cousin. I mean, this is bananas. You, you'll have to listen to it. But I mean, just such a good dude. He's he's done a lot for his family. He's got a big heart. He does. And I, and, and, but he, and he, and he's like, I will give it all, but I'm also going to be firm. Yeah. And I think this is actually, you know, if you're an ability, if you have the ability to do what he has done, I mean, I, I think that some of that advice is amazing because he's like, he's like, at one point in this, he's like, I'm going to provide housing, but you know what? If they can't pay the bill or they, uh, or they do me wrong, th- there's no, there's no gray area. You're out. Right. And I, I mean, I, I, uh, do you want to clean next? No, I just, I thought it was, I just thought it was really impactful. Um, and I, 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 I want to be able to be him in that aspect. Yeah, he uh and, and this is cool too. So when he got in when he got started in real estate investing, um you know, he had some money that he made overseas from the the basketball league, but he didn't know what the hell he was doing at all. Like he bought a house and then bought another house, you know, kind of set up his family in those as as kind of rentals. But he didn't like it's not like he went down the rabbit hole of bigger pockets and read a whole bunch of books and had analysis paralysis for 2 years. This is kind of highlighting the just get started type mm-hmm. of, you know, mentality, even if you don't know everything, you're never going to. And he had some things work out that maybe I you you wouldn't necessarily want to advise somebody just to buy something without knowing anything about, you know, leases or landlord tenant law or any of that stuff. But he did and it sure worked out for him. Yeah, he didn't. I I I was really astonished by his story. I was really astonished by his way of giving. Um he has uh he has scholarships he's created in his name. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I mean, he really checked a lot of boxes of what we try to look for for a good podcast. Yeah, indeed. And and it's like I I was listening to his story and I started thinking about like the, one of the main reasons why I came across here, not only for my immediate family, like you mean across across the, across the sea? Yeah, all the way across the Caribbean Sea. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so like the, and and across the the entire America to the middle of America, you know. Um, but the reason why I came here not only for my wife and my and my son, but and other children to come, but it is it is for my family back home too, to be able to to create some sort of opportunity for them to progress more than where they are right now. So it's like I'm hearing his story and I'm like picturing myself. I I know I don't have his income like three hundred thousand and eight hundred thousand dollars, but yeah, I, I think that not I could yet. still not yet. not yet, yeah, not yet. But I still think that I could. I I sh- but I think that i could still do what he has done for his family so it, it you know, was very relatable i'm gonna tell you what uh you guys let me give you guys a little story um this was impromptu but um for you guys that don't know denless everything's impromptu <laughs> we literally have nothing scripted we ever we have everything <laughs> scripted here <laughs> ever so so it, it, for you guys that don't know denless um so i i run the local ria group and Denless start came to the country and he's like, I'm interested in real estate investing. Actually, Denless, how did you get to start? What made you 
what was the first thing to put you in, put in your mind that you're interested in real estate investing? I'm kind of wondering. <laughs> Everyone's answer is the Purple Bible. I was back so home. You found that. But before I found the Purple Bible, I actually did listen to um, Robert Kiyosaki's podcast. Okay. So the... the but, but, um, but back up, back up. What, what, what made you look for that podcast? Um, I, I don't know. I think... I do you really want to hear that backstory? I, I just just your just your twenty second version of it. Okay, I hit a low point in twenty nineteen, and I decided at that point that I needed to figure out a way to to change my life. And I was just looking at different inspirational things on YouTube, and one of the suggestions that came up had to do with money. And that one video led to another, led to another, and then I came across Robert Kiyosaki's podcast. And one, and as soon as I I started listening to to that podcast, that's when I I I heard about the game Cash Flow, and I ever since then I wanted to buy it. I haven't bought it yet, but I I I'm going to buy it before the end of the year. Hey, you know what? You can borrow mine for as long as you want. I have I it. appreciate it. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I'll bring it. it next time. Remind me, because you know I'll forget. Okay, cool. Yeah, and um, yeah, and and when <laughs> it went it went from from there to reading the book. After I read the book, I was like, yeah somehow i have to get into real estate and then when i looked at trinidad's real estate industry it was terrible like like the one percent is way out of <laughs> like you can't even imagine trying to get the one percent rule satisfying the one percent rule what okay hang on do you mean because prices are high or rents are low or both they just aren't proportion so how to say this uh there isn't like a to my understanding there's not a middle ground yeah there's so middle so, class no middle class well there is middle class but to my understanding, the 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 prices are high, and then the the rent is like low, if compared mm-hmm. to to the price. So a uh, a house might be the equivalent of three hundred thousand um, US, and then the rent might be the equivalent of like eight hundred US. Ooh, so yeah. yeah, it's it's really difficult to meet that one percent rule. Okay. Now here here's what's cool. So Dennis and I were talking yesterday about uh, his brother who lives in Trinidad. And Dennis has been trying to basically get him to come to the U.S. True, yep. yeah. And his brother has picked up some skills. He knows how to paint houses, right? So he's my, a- my brother is a professional artist. So he he paints paintings, landscape paintings is his is his prof- uh, is like his really good skill. Like he's really good at that. But he also side hustles doing like painting houses and stuff. Now, okay, so we were talking and Dennis said, I think you said the conversion ratio is basically seven to one. So about that, yeah. It takes seven, you know, TT 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 dollars, yeah. TT dollars to equal uh, one US dollar. So your dollar goes further in Trinidad than it does in the US. Yes. Especially now. Yeah. And you were saying you asked him what would an average like if you were painting the outside of a house in Trinidad inside mm-hmm. inside okay inside of a house and he said two thousand yes I asked him if you were painting it one solid color the inside of a house how much would you charge and he was like well I I just charge him two thousand TT dollars so and you have to divide it by seven to get the equivalent of US dollars okay yeah so. Doing the math, what is that? Three hundred bucks? I mean, yeah, a little less just, than just that. Under, just under so that. he yep. would come sold, to the U.S. And, yeah, exactly. exactly. I, go, I will literally hire him right now for a, an entire year, but, the, but the, just to paint. I will buy stuff just for him to paint. Yeah, but it, but he can't afford to live here because it's right, different. right, right. Okay, so okay, so the, but I was trying to get to a point here. Okay, sorry. Okay, so the the point is though that you know Denless approached us um, at at a real estate meetup and he volunteered his time. He's like, hey man, let me help you with takedown setups. 
And then, uh, then he realized that I was just recording the the meetups off of my iPad. He's like, "Oh, I can I can help you out with that." So he started handling the iPad recording, <laughs> and then and then that led to him getting some equipment. And that's because of Denless. Denless is actually a catalyst. I've always wanted to start a podcast, and and I I knew that if I wanted a podcast, you guys probably heard a little bit when we had Jerry Schlickburn on a few episodes ago. Uh, um, but I always. Dennis is like, I can help you get that going. And Dennis, in this one year, man, you have been, you've done, you've done a lot. So I think you're, I think you keep on, I think you put yourself down really low. But in this time, you started, you started a, a video production company. And what's the name of that production company? DB, DB Video. And you're, and you're looking for podcast clients and your, and, and video work and, and so on, right? Well, to be honest, I, I, how I am thinking about it is right now, because it's only me with a couple of other interns that I have on 1099, that I am looking for like, um, clients in any, well, in, in all aspects of video. So drone, videography, um, or, or if real estate um, walkthrough videos, like I, I just want to work with one person per um, part per of the industry per yeah. category. Yeah, per category. Yep. Well, it'd be I think it'd be a failure if you don't take on multiple podcasts. Personally, but <laughs> but but Denless, uh But the point is that you, you came to the country what year and a half ago? Yeah, end of twenty twenty. And, and and in this time period, you've you've created a name for yourself. You've gotten yourself in front of the right people. You're help, you've helped us create a, uh, a, a what I think is a su- successful podcast. But you, I think that you're definitely in a trajectory that is go- only going up. I mean, there's not – people have lived their whole lives haven't done as much as you have in this in this little industry. And I know that you're, you're trying to get your first investment going and everything like that. And that's going to happen for you, man. Stop being so negative on yourself because you're doing some really good stuff. Yeah. Oh, one's right. You do got to pull the trigger on some st- something soon. Yeah, and and but you got the right people in your corner to make that happen. Yeah. So, um, but guys, if you're listening to this, the point is that you get in front of the people that are making things happen. I I have new investors all the time that are getting in front of me, and you do too, Owen. And but the problem is that they're they're just not being uh, proactive. Get in front of people, offer your services, show how you can be an asset to people. Here's the problem. Here, I'll tell you the problem. The, pro- the problem is this. The general approach of investors or, or people that want to be real estate investors are approaching it all wrong when they're, when they're going and talking to experienced people because they say, can I pick your brain? Can mm-hmm. I take you to lunch and pick your brain? I mean, how many thousands of times have you heard that? I mean, it's it's fine. I get it. It's not a terrible approach. But don't take me lunch. Buy me old fashioned and get me some cigars. Okay, <laughs> that's Ted's secret sauce. Here's here's the deal. Here's what Denless did that sets him apart from every other person that comes up and has that pick your brain approach. And you never bought me a cigar or an old fashioned. Just you know, not yet. He he says. And, and actually, here's there's two points to this. Don't say pick your brain. That's one. Yeah. Number two. No intuitive like. Be aware of what someone needs, what some what tasks need to be done as part of their job, and don't make them come up with something that you can help them with. Yeah, yeah. Don't say, "Can I ride around with you and job shadow you and this and that?" That that puts somebody in a weird position because, like, if somebody said that to me, I'd be like, 
man, I don't know. Like, uh, you're gonna you want to ride around in my truck all day? What like what what does that look like? That's, Den- it's Den- weird. Den- Denless did that to me actually. He did. Like, <laughs> hey, like, he's like learning. Twice. I did. I did that like literally twice. <laughs> but my my point being, he said, hey. I see you're doing this with an iPad. It would probably be much better if we use this technology. Why don't I help you break this stuff down? He didn't come up and ask you, like, what things can you assign to me? Because then that puts the onus on the person being asked to come up with a list of job responsibilities. And it's it's weird. Exactly. It's but, weird. Oh, and, and, and to, uh, that what that leads to is self-awareness as well, like understanding what you have to offer. Because, yes, yes, you, yes you're looking at the person and what they're missing in their business or whatever it is. But is what you have to offer. If it is you, if if it is they are missing someone who needs to be very practical or, or very organized, and you are not organized, don't offer to be that person because then you would just mess your opportunity up. You know, it's funny. So self awareness is very important. I had a random person hit me up uh, the other day. I, so I, for you guys don't know, I do real estate on uh, this is my other business, right? <laughs> and 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 so I I've had a lot of listings go up lately. I, I, somebody on the outside might think I'm successful in that, and I'm I'm still trying to figure it out. And uh, so we've had like three four listings this week, and one of my listings went up, and this guy randomly calls me. He's like, "Hey, I uh, I with a totally different brokerage." And he's like, "Hey, I want to do open houses for you." Oh, really? And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, he's like, I'm with so and so brokerage, da da da, and he goes, "I want to help you out and do some open houses." And not knowing that you even knew anything that I do outside of the firm, I'm like, hey, you know what? That's great, but I'm not going to just do an open house with somebody. I, I need those services, actually. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm not going to just do an open house with somebody I don't know. I'm like, well, show me your credentials. And if you have credentials, come to my office and le- at least let me meet you. Showed up, got talking. He actually listens to podcasts. He, 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 he's attended real estate meetup groups. He's 22 or 23, and he wants to get involved in real estate investing. But he completely backdoored me. <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. Pl- yeah, yeah, please no, continue. No. I will no, take the like, high road. Like, like, exp- like, explain in detail what you mean by backdoor. Uh, like, I had no idea. I had absolutely no idea that he wanted to learn anything about you know real estate investing. He just he can't approach me with the service that I that I was interested in. And didn't get even he didn't give into the other stuff, you know. So I didn't think that he even knew right that I was involved with the RIA or the podcast. I just didn't know. And uh, so you know, he offered a service I needed I, that was helpful to me. And I'm like, so now we're figuring it out. And he had some other questions, and it led in we had a good like half hour conversation. But it but it was just, I liked his approach on it. I like that. Very yeah, good. very good. Good Very stuff, good. boys. He's self-aware, and that's what I mean, like knowing what what your strengths are and what you can actually offer to benefit the person that you're talking to. So that's good enough. Yeah, don't don't <laughs> give them, don't give the person you're asking, don't give the person that you need something from tasks. Don't make them try to figure out how you can you be can, helped. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? That that's and I know that's a it's an art, not a science. Because if, oh, if yeah. you would approach me differently, I and would just want me or some, I probably wouldn't have. Yeah. I probably wouldn't have done it, mm-hmm. or at least been so quick to do it. Right. Yep. All so, right. Anyway, good tips. Have you ever seen her dentist talk so much? No. Jeez, <laughs> get turn the mic off. Already. And I and and I wanted to talk more, but you know, I had to stop myself. <laughs> I'm so. just kidding. We love you, buddy. Owen is rubbing off on me. So, <laughs> so the day that dentist starts putting these videos on YouTube, he, oh my god. Uh, uh, I'm sure that there'll be like some some there'll be like uh. Cold, uh, closed captioning on a bomb so you can, uh, so you can understand them. <laughs> I know you was going there. I know you were going there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, with that, do you have a golden nugget for the day? 
Today's golden Golden nugget. Okay, I learned this from screwing something up, and this was two weeks ago. We bought a house. Uh, Brandon and I bought a house from Ryan Bame and Dan Freeman, Beta Homes. Oh, Thanks, yeah. guys. So they they had a house in Council Bluffs. And we've had Iowa. Dan in the feet on the podcast. So if you want to check out what podcast, and it was on, be on the show notes. It was freaking hilarious too. Anybody that hasn't heard the Dan Freeman episode, tune in because it's great. I mean, he's a comedian. He man. is. So we bought a house uh, from them, and it had this. Okay, so picture a ranch home with an attached garage. And the previous owners at some point put a mother-in-law suite above the garage. So it's almost like a split level, but it's not. I mean, that's where you want your mother-in-law. Right. Right. So it's a, but it's a huge, it's probably, I don't know, you know, whatever, 500 square foot uh, room. And then we added basically a full bath, a closet, a a good size closet, and then had a wide open, you know, kind of teenager suite or mother-in-law suite or whatever you want to call it. What I did not notice was whether there were there was duct work in that room or not guess what no no <laughs> right already did the scope of work had the contractors working on it and we're like okay you know blah 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 this should be good walk up there and i'm i mean it's hotter than hades in the last couple of weeks here in omaha sweating what is going on why isn't the duct work look around there's no vents no no cold air returns nothing and i'm like is there a system there is in the main part of the house but nothing is heating or cooling the open space up above and we we, you know it's all finished off so now it's like all the drywall's done right so i go down the path of how much would it cost to put in another hvac unit it's not cheap because you have to do duct work you have to cut drywall all that stuff it's whole total pain Mini split systems, uh, for those of you not familiar, they're kind of an alternative to uh, a regular condenser unit and a furnace like you would find in a normal house. And then the third option, and here's where the gold nugget comes into play, are what's called PTAC units. So these are, uh, I don't know what the- What's a PTAC? It's packaged terminal air conditioning. Okay. So it's like a picture, a hotel room and it heats and cools. You have that system over by the the window one. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you go over, you can turn on, make it hotter, colder, whatever. And they never work well, but in the hotel, but you can buy these and they are a fraction of the price of a mini split or an entire HVAC system plus the duct work. So you can install these either through the wall or like a window air unit. How much much those units? So I bought one at Menards, which is like Home Depot or Lowe's for those of you not in the Midwest. And it was about 600 bucks for one of those all-in-ones? All-in-ones, yeah. So okay. it does heating and cooling. Why, and would, then, why would you not do that versus like a mini split? Mini splits are $6,000. I know, but I know, but like why would – to me, that seems way better. So And it does the same job, right? It does, except mini splits are – well, I don't know. I mean, I, I've never done a mini split, but I priced it, and it was six grand, And I was like, no thanks, because yeah. I can get this for 500 bucks. I mean, that's ridiculous. I see them on Facebook Marketplace all the time. For- yeah. I mean, it's a – you know, what? what is that? I mean, it's 10 times more. Why would you do that? I don't know. So well, you asking, have now, I'm, a, I'm asking you. Now here's the thing: you have to have your <laughs> you have to have your outlet able to hold that much. Uh, you know, it has to be it has to be a 220. It can't be a 110. So you have to probably upgrade your your panel. Which you'd to, have to do the mini split anyway. Right. Exactly. You're gonna have to do this anyway. So it's all like. But I'm just saying, you might check into it. Look into PTAC units if you have a room that or an addition that doesn't have ductwork ran to it. It will save you a ton of money. And by the way. When you're looking through houses that have an addition or another room above the garage where you want to stick your mother-in-law, look for ductwork because if it's not there, it is it's not cheap to add. So that's today's golden, golden nugget. nugget.
Hey, so should we just get right into the news? Sure. In the news. Hey, so I had an interesting news article I ran across, and I want to kind of read a little bit of this to you, okay? So this is on the AirDNA website, and mm-hmm. AirDNA is like where you go to evaluate what your Airbnb could, could do, right? So the, the May report just came out, and it's called uh, UC, U.S. Short-Term Rental Supply Growth Surges to Meet Rising Demand. And I'm just going to read this first paragraph to you. I want to get your feedback on it. Yeah. Okay? One, one thing I want to add. So AirDNA is, is kind of like an analytics package for how to run an Airbnb or short-term rental. So it offers you a variety of kind of analysis and reporting. And I want to, I, I got, I want to get your feedback on something else after this. So it says, U.S. short-term rental demand showed no weakness in May, with night stayed up another 17.9% compared to last year and 26% versus 2019. New bookings were also healthy in May, topping 17.1 million nights booked during the month, which is up 2.6%. And also that they added 84,000 new short-term rentals just in the month of May. That's crazy. And and so that's nationwide in the U.S., right? It's nationwide. Okay. Now, so I have, like, I don't know. That's a lot. That seems like a lot. Is that a lot? I I don't know. Well, according to this, it is. And so there, I have uh, I have five short term rentals, mm-hmm. and we're in an area uh, where we have College World Series going on. We have, um, and we just had a big storm, so we have t- we have tons of contractors that just uh, flew in, storm chasers, storm chasers, and and so rates are astronomically high right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but and we and we have we, and we also have a huge. Um, uh, hospital area so we have lots of short-term nurses in in this area too so i per, i currently have literally cws people roofing people and and i have short-term uh, nurse rentals in, mm-hmm. my, in my places right now but there is no airbnbs available in in this town there's also no hotels available in this town i i, I specifically talked to um sanjay which hopefully we'll get him back on the podcast uh and, and his hotels are full and he's charging extra, right? So I I see this, but there. Can I go off topic for a minute? <laughs> <laughs> Is that funny? You go right ahead. I'm not even going to respond. Please just do continue. just do what Owen does. Just so talk. I, I got I I had some behind the scenes people that they're in, and and this is happening in many cities. It's probably happening in your city, but here in Omaha, they're, they're talking about legislation about air, you know, about Airbnbs. And I heard that the, the the reason that they are getting so aggressive on us is because there's no rentals available, okay? But we, they want to potentially put regulation against the Airbnb program and maybe halt it from any additional purchases. This is all hearsay. But this is happening in other cities, right? Where they're, they're not allowing additional Airbnb purchases. If I don't know the percentage, but realistically, people, if we look at all the Airbnbs in town, I mean, really, do you think it's even 0.01% of all the housing rentals, Airbnbs? I would imagine it's it's a much smaller number than it would be for long-term rentals. But I want to clarify something. When you say halt the purchases of, you can't really stop somebody from buying a house. No, you can't, but you can... You can, you can per- stop them from operating You it. can create licen- licensing programs. Right, but they can still purchase oh. it, is my, is my point. Or, so or you can go to car- like your hometown. Right. You can't even have an Airbnb, right? 
yeah, the city is the city basically has a bylaw that you are unable to run it short term unless you live there. And so, which is super weird. Okay, so here's the deal. If in in my opinion, uh, you know, we have these huge like in town in in the big corporate buyer here in town is Vinebrook. Okay, I just had an offer on a property from Vinebrook that I I listed yesterday. They, I think that they have eight thousand rentals in town. Do you think that there's eight thousand Airbnbs in town? No, 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 not no. in Omaha. No, we have about a million around in the surrounding area around the Omaha, Nebraska market. We've got about a million population. They are the uh, second biggest holder of rental properties in the state of Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Now, you tell me, you would you want? You put regulations on on Airbnb, which is obviously a demand because all the hotels are full. All the Airbnbs are full. So tell me there isn't a demand for that progress. And I'm going to tell you right now, you go to any of my Airbnbs, look at this property right now, and you've seen some of my stuff. I have the nicest property in the neighborhood, sometimes on the block, and sometimes even in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I'm landscaped. I'm 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 putting three times more money in my Airbnbs than anybody else. It is the gem of the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It pisses me off that they think that if by regulating it, they're going to fix the program. Mm-hmm. Because they're not. You, if you want to control and have more available properties, hit these big corporations that are buying uh, thousands of properties in cities. Because Airbnb, if you if you kibosh the Airbnb program, you're 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 kiboshing, uh travel and and I mean because this this here we have certain events and you don't have anywhere to stay, you're hurting our our travel industry. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't understand that. I, I, where is their mentality? Well, I think they get pressure from the city and lobbyist groups that have, you know, lack of rental housing, lack of affordable rental housing. They get resistance from basically city council who hears it on all sides. But from the Airbnb the- program is not is not the thing to, cor- to die on. Well, they also have the hotel lobby as well. So the hotels do not like Airbnb, but, right? But, so, but they're still full right now. It's not. We don't have enough hotels to fill the, the demand right now. Yeah, I mean, it's a snapshot in time for us, though. It's it's like this for maybe what a month out of the year, two months out of the it's year. It's summer. Yeah, and so Omaha is not your typical like. It's not like it's San Diego. Yeah, here. but the hotels in town don't have full kitchens, right? I mean, yeah. there's certain amenities that they just can't offer. Well, and I think what okay, well, you would know this better than me, but during the during the off season, off peak uh, times for the Omaha, Nebraska market, do you have like fifty percent occupancy during a month for short terms? I haven't been doing long enough to know. Right, uh, I I did my first Airbnb in December, mm-hmm. and I had um, I had Afghani refugees in right. my property, and they couldn't fit a family as big as I could fit. Mm-hmm. So the again. The resources weren't available in hotels that I could provide. Right. Because I I had a four-bedroom property that could fit a family of eight. Well, I don't know. I think we're kind of insulated here. So maybe listeners out there that aren't in the Omaha, Nebraska market, give us some feedback. What's the What's the Airbnb situation in your city? Do you feel it's underserved? Do you feel like there's increasing risk of regulations coming down that are going to put your investment at risk? of, you know, loss of revenue or maybe even, you know, put a stop to the program in general. And that's the, the, and we've talked about this several times, but like my little town that I live in, Carter Lake, Iowa, city council just said, nope, we're tired of the complaints. No more Airbnb, no more short-term rentals unless you live in the house and, and like you run out your basement. That's it. It, it just irritates me. In Atlanta, that's, I mean, we talked about that yeah. like three or four episodes ago where Atlanta, basically the whole city said, you can own two total and one of them you got to live in and no LLCs can own it. You have to be an Atlanta resident. I mean, was, that's a huge city. Was there a grandfather clause in that? 
I don't know all the ins and outs of the regular. I know they they have kicked the can on uh, basically making it official. So I think it's like September or something like that. But yeah, that's a big city. I mean, that's a that's a very good case study on what this will look like in the after effects of it, because I guarantee you there were huge swaths of Airbnbs and short term rentals that were owned by you know, probably big corporations and maybe even some mom and pops and own like 20 or 30 of them. I'm going to tell you what, it, 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 as far as locally goes, if this goes the extra mile and it ends up, I'm going to be the person that stands up for it. And I will try to get everything I can to get backing on it because I don't agree with it. And I don't think that they're fighting the right battle. It's kind of like a tech company that comes up with a really innovative product or solution. And it's awesome for a short period of time until the market catches up. Or maybe they introduce something that's, obsoleting your new invention that you had, you know, like take, for example, uh, like look at the taxi industry after Uber. Uh, yeah. After Uber and Lyft came out. I mean, they're decimated. Like what are taxis? When's the last time you've taken a taxi? I, with my grandma to church, probably when I was a teenager. Yeah. So my point being like, you have, you have things like Airbnbs that are kind of a niche inside the, uh, inside the real estate investing space. But you could very well have somebody come along without any part of your control that just says, eh, you can't do this anymore. Thanks for playing. Oh, I got to sigh because it just gets me fired. It's up. frustrating. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of moving parts to it. But you know what? It's there, a good news segment. There, it is a good news segment. And uh, before we move on, I think that there needs to be a point where um, I've actually had a lot of requests, just so you know, for people that want to hear our stories. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. I'm not. So I, and I always say, well, I didn't think anybody existed out there that wanted to hear me uh, talk more. Well, I, 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 I always just figured we tell enough of our story needs injuries, right? Right. That we don't need to do it. So we, just so you guys know, because I probably had this asked maybe about 40, 50 times, to be honest with you. I, Owen and I will do that the time that uh, somebody cancels on us and we got it. We, we got it. <laughs> so it will come. No promises win, but we'll, we'll make it happen. So, but hey, Andre Smith is next. I think you guys are going to be blown away. Um, we we thought it was a very emotional, but also a very interesting uh, podcast. Non-conventional. It's not like uh, – I mean, he's done stuff that people just don't do. I mean, he's he's probably the 1% of the 1% of the you know athlete population that has played overseas and then come back and then actually have – succeeded with their investments instead of just, you know, blowing it all after they're not in the game anymore. Mm -hmm. And which I know I alluded to in uh, one of the previous episodes we had about a rod being on the Jordan Harbinger show, but yeah, just super cool story. Really chill dude. Uh, loved uh, talking with him. He, uh, he just has a fun family oriented story and has come back and learned a ton and partnered and, and, uh, Bought some, you know, nice properties. Uh, involved his family. Just, just all, a lot of cool stuff. He talks about his why, uh, but I don't think it is why really explains his real why. And 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 I really think from after that interview, his real why is just creating generational wealth for the whole family. Yeah, and cha- and cha- and changing the the plan as we talked about earlier. But without any further ado, I think it's time to get into the podcast with Andre, Andre Smith. Smith. Andre, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, thanks. We, we've been we've been talking about this for a couple months now. Uh, your business partner Sam, he's like, man, Andre's the man. He has a story that will blow your listeners' minds. You got to keep in mind that Sam's a salesman by by trade, <laughs> so he, he knows how to sell everything. <laughs> 
Well, I didn't know that, but now we know. Man, yeah. we got we just got gypped. Yeah, he sold your you know sold your way into into this. So yeah, good job, yeah. Sam. Shout out Goose, thanks, man. <laughs> and just so you know, if you if you're watching us on video, you'll see that Andre is like seven foot tall, and he's wow. like he's like you gotta move all these chairs out, man, because this room is small. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're we're Spartan uh, furnishings here at Rio Radio, so appreciate you uh, you know being a little cramped for us. Well, thanks for moving that other chair out of the way for me so I can stretch out. <laughs> and Andre, you're prepared, man. You know that we have old fashions here. You're like, no, I got Modelo. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. I just came from refing. I was sweating a little bit, so I had to get a little bit of the salt back in me. <laughs> I love it. Now, so I, Andre, I don't know you at all, really. So Ted was uh, has talked about you several times, and I was like, who is this guy? And he's like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And you just kind of vague answers. And so I'm excited to kind of dig into your story a little bit today. Um, now you live in the Omaha market, right? But yep. you're not from here originally. That's what you said. Yep. Yep. Born and raised in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, I lost the coin flip with my wife <laughs> during my professional basketball days of where we would live and poof, here I am in Nebraska. So professional I, basketball, that's a big topic here. I think I, we want to hear a little bit about that unless you're sick of talking about it. And we can, we can. Uh, it's been a while since anybody's cared. Yeah, no, I, I'm excited. So we have a professional, ex-professional athlete in here and a part-time referee, it sounds like. Yes, sir. So that's fun. You're still involved in the game? Do you do you still yep. play in leagues or anything like that? Oh, no, I, I haven't played, and it's coming up on two years now. I destroyed my ankle, probably worse I've ever done it, paying to play in a league, and I'm like, this is madness. <laughs> like So I just crossed over and uh, started reffing and really like it. You know, uh, I, I love the game, obviously, so, you know, I, I – it's a good fit. You know, I was coaching youth basketball. I, I dabbled in a little bit in high school basketball, but you know, reffing is, I think is going to be my fit basketball relay, uh, re- relation wise. What grade were you coaching or what age group? Uh, I was a assistant at Abraham Lincoln for a couple years in council bluffs. So varsity basketball, high school, and then, uh, uh, ninth and 10th graders in the summer. And then uh, I would spend the fall, winter and spring just working with little kids, you know, sixth grade through eighth grade, fifth grade through eighth grade. So small nonprofit, the Midwest trail blazers out of North Omaha. So that was who I was with. My son, uh, thinks he's an amazing basketball player. And uh, and he, he his team's Golden State, which probably most kids are. But he's been yeah. a fan now for a couple of years. He was going crazy when Steph Curry won, and he's like, "I got the jersey, Dad." <laughs> and, then, uh, <laughs> and, then he's like, and it's a real one because it's stitched on. So you mm-hmm. should you see how excited he is. But uh, he uh, so he's on cloud nine this week, and uh, he's in basketball camp all week uh, this week, summer basketball camp. And okay. uh, today's the last day that he's there. But every day he comes home, he's like. He's like, dude, I'm so sore, and this, and, I, and I'm like, and he's like, but first day we just did layups, and next day we just did this. I go, I go, all the best, practice the basics, and and then and they continue practice. Is that a fair statement? Forever. I mean, like you practice layups until the day you don't shoot layups anymore. So it's like you know the, it never goes away. You just end up adding more to your practice routine. Okay, so Carson listens to this. Do you have a piece of advice for him and his in his early training? Because he thinks he just needs to shoot, try to practice three points all day long, and that's where he needs to be. How old is he? he he'll be turned nine this September. Uh, stop shooting all those threes and start working on everything else. Yep. You know, so defense and then just your ability to compete. Like just go out there and fight back. I call it. You know, what I mean, like no. That it's going to be hard, and you're not going to always win, but you just got to fight back the next time, and you know try harder. So listen in, Carson. 
<laughs> Andre, tell, tell us about uh, what was it like growing up? And obviously, if you played professional basketball, you had a lot of skills probably early on. Um, what, what, have you been playing ever since you were, you know, able to, you know, palm a basketball? Uh, <laughs> were you like three years old and you're like, you're like look, mom? No, it, it was kind of, uh, you know, I didn't play as much when I was young. You know, uh, I explain it now as I tell people, you know, like this is the reality, like, I just because I woke up that day, I was better than a large majority of the population at basketball. You know, I had the physical, the physical attributes, the height, the coordination, the speed, all, you know, like I wasn't the fastest, but I was faster than most. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't jump the highest. So, you know, once you start adding a little bit of work into that, then, you know, it takes you along a the way. But, you know, I, I didn't always play sports growing up. So when you were when you got to high school age, let's talk about that. Did you start kind of turning some heads with um, your ability to you know play? Was so, that is that how that worked, or what? What did it look like? How did you get recruited? Maybe tell us the story on there. How did you end up in professional basketball? So it, it, I was kind of a flash in the pan. You know, I really only played my senior year uh, for my high school. I didn't play the first three years. I played my senior year. Uh, took a school that is notorious for being bad at basketball to the state tournament. We finished third in the state. I had a teammate who was really good, ended up going to Marquette and playing. Uh, so that brought a little enough attention for folks to come and notice me. And, you know, then I went to junior college. I ended up paying my own way through junior college. Uh, earned a Division One scholarship, had like 30 offers out of JUCO. Oh, no kidding. Wow. Yeah, picked the closest Division One school to my hometown so my family could see me and what, now, where did, where did you play college ball? North Dakota State. North Bison. Dakota State. Bison with a Z, not an S. <laughs> Bison. Okay, I didn't know that. Oh, come yeah. on, man. So, nor I, I, sorry. <laughs> oh, I, here. Okay, real quick uh, trivia question for, for both of you, or all three of you. Dennis, you won't know. This would be fun. Um, so, there are, I think, there's less than 10 college mascots that do not end in the letter S. This was a trivia question about 10, 15 years ago, and two of them were in North the, Dakota. Two, two of them were in the um, College World Series. Really? Uh-huh. I, yeah, I have no idea. Bison. Bison. <laughs> Bison. Yeah. And then I was going to say the Sioux, but I guess they're technically not the Sioux anymore. Yeah. Uh, so Fighting Irish. Uh, so Notre Dame was in the College World Series, which is, by the way, we're we're filming or we're we're filming and and recording this during the College World Series in Omaha, Nebraska, which is a big deal here. There's a ton of people that come to town, and uh, it's a lot of fun. They do a lot of uh, you know get a lot of business for Airbnbs, which Ted's real excited about. And then it's been a good um, couple months. <laughs> yeah, it's been uh, it's uh, it's always fun, and it's always just hotter than Hades here during. I don't know what it is. But I mean, can you imagine not being from Omaha and you visit here and you're like, <laughs> they think Omaha is like this Midwestern town, kind of like Minneapolis, and it's probably cool there or whatever. And they get here and it's just like <gasps> dying every, from humidity. Every, and every CWS, it's there's a tornado, exactly a, 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 a hailstorm, and and hundred degree temperatures. <laughs> I I was coming home. This is probably I don't know ten years ago. I was coming home from a uh, uh, golf league. I think during the College World Series, coming down like 10th Street uh, in Omaha downtown. And then they had the sound of the sirens, and it was a really bad one. Like I don't know where it touched down, but it was a it was a it was a tornado. So we had to like leave our cars right on 10th Street, and there's like a thousand people there. And I had to run. We had to run inside into the convention center just to like hang out while the well, tornado. I remember that. Yeah. yeah, that was it was nuts. Um, yeah. Anyway, back to you, Andre. Uh, so you you um, got 
got got noticed in high school. You had a teammate that was really good, went to Marquette. You ended up um, electing to go to um, – Well, I had to go to junior college. I didn't take the ACT or SAT or any of that, you know, like how, – wow. how, was, how was school for you, high school? Was it uh, – did you do well in, at grades-wise, or is that why you're saying you, you uh, had to go there? Well, uh, I went to a alternative school within a school okay, uh, because of some of the troubles I was experiencing as a youth. So – I didn't tr- go to traditional school. Uh, I wasn't in a school outside of a, like a juvenile detention place okay. for most of my high school career. So my senior year, you know, I kind of I get out, you know, and and I go back to school. And the coach is like, "Man, you're tall. Come to practice tonight." <laughs> you know, I'm, all right. You know, so I go to practice, and uh, one of my neighbors, you know, and friend at the time uh, was on the team too. He's about my size and everything. And, and, you know, we end up being teammates playing that season, having a Cinderella run through the state tournament. I mean, uh, we were the only team uh, that year that had a losing record in the state tournament. Like we didn't really start winning until the playoffs mm-hmm. went on that run, you know, because of the attention that he garnered, it, you know, brought some to me. Gave me my opportunity. I had a host of junior colleges. My uncle actually took me from Minnesota to Texas to see 10 schools in between. I, being a homebody, picked the closest junior college to home. Uh, ended up having to pay to go there. Went there, played well. Got a bunch of Division One scholarship offers. Picked the closest school to home. Went there, played well. Played better than I thought I was going to play. Uh, after senior night, it, you know, I immediately started getting emails and phone calls from agents saying, hey, do you want to continue to play? And I thought it was NBA or nothing. They're like, oh, we'll send you over to overseas. And I'm like, where the hell is overseas? Uh, yeah, and, tell us about that. Yeah. So you you started getting offers to uh, play after college, and, yep. and you weren't aware there was another league you could join outside of the U.S., right? Right, right. So what happened next? Uh, you know, I'd go through the recruiting process, pick an agent, uh, Signed with that guy. About three weeks later, he starts bringing me options like, you know, here's this team. You know, they'll pay you this much or here's that team. You know, eventually we get uh, a team from Germany and, and the first league in Germany. It was the highest level offer that I was going to get, not necessarily the most money. Uh, I go there. You know, I mean, I signed the contract and, you know, and that's that. They send me a plane ticket, tell me pack my stuff and I get on an airplane and go to Germany. Wow. How okay, how long from the beginning to beginning of the recruiting process are you signing on the dotted line to now your your feet down in Germany? So, season ended in let's say late February, early March, you know, before March Madness takes place. Uh I signed with an agent probably 2 weeks after that and then I signed to go to Germany, you know, middle of June and and then I was on an airplane July or August like 9th or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, self-described homebody. Bam, bam. Yeah, yeah, like oh, I'm a homebody. I just picked the school next to me, and then yeah. I ended up in Germany. So what? Yeah. What? Uh, what city in Germany were you in? I was in a village. They would call it uh, Trier. Trier. Yeah, like T R I E R. Some up by the Luxembourg border. Okay. What was it like living there? And how long were you there? It's a culture shock. I wasn't there long. Uh, I didn't really know what it took to be a pro when I got there. And since it was such a high level league, it uh, wasn't a lot of tolerance. So uh, I was there probably two months. Uh, it was a complete culture shock. I mean, I get off the airplane, I'm going through customs. First time I've ever flown on an airplane was 
with the North Dakota State to go to Texas and all these other places, right? So, but now I'm flying internationally, and you know, there's smoking in the airports, and <laughs> you know, uh, there's big long lines and guys with you know big assault rifles and things, and you know, I'm just following the line. I go through customs. Uh, I'm like, all right, now what? I got my two bags, everything I own in those two bags, and I'm like, you know, somebody's supposed to be picking me up. You know, there's a guy with a sign with my name on it. You know, I go over there to him. He doesn't speak any English. Oh, geez. Uh, he's just like trying to motion for me to wait. And then he goes down to a different gate and comes back with a, one of my teammates, jo Josh Almason. I'll never forget him because he was my competition for that position. And uh, we get in the car and we start riding. Josh has played there a couple years. And I fall asleep and I wake up and we're on this winding road down into the village. You can see at the bottom of like this valley. And, uh, we start driving in the city and in, in in town and and you know they pull up to this building and he's just like all right we're getting out he takes my bags out he's like pointing upstairs pointing at me pointing at the key showing me a number two like this is where you live this you is know, you that car right there these keys me that's your car right there hands me a note a bag of groceries <laughs> uh waves by gets in the car and, and drives off you know the notes like from the coach like welcome excited to get started you know here's some money here's some groceries get some rest monday we're back at it you know gym straight down the street you can't miss it uh you know that was that i carry my bags up to my apartment and i'm like oh my god you had to be so nervous like, Go the next day you're like i have to meet all these people uh, i don't know i don't yeah. speak you know the na native language i mean that day I, I had no idea about jet lag so i'm like you know, I'm up all night long. You know, I don't own a laptop or anything. I don't know how to make an international call. I got a phone, but I hear music. You know, I'm not far from the city center. So I'm like, all right, let's go see what's going on. And, you know, and I, I go out into, into town and check it out. And yeah. Wow. All right. So then um, you, did you contemplate? So did, when the guy at the airport that you were competing against, showed up did you know you're competing against him for a spot until uh, like that day was he like oh yeah we're we're here for tryouts or or what were you informed of that later so he he's a veteran signed guy returning previously previously played for that team i'm i'm the guy that's on the tryout contract like hey here's six weeks you know impress us you can stay otherwise we'll find somebody else so uh i you know Obviously, it's a team. I know there's going to be other guys that play my position, you know, just like any team I played on. So, and he stayed in the same spot you did. Yep. Oh no, he lived. I mean, he lived a couple blocks down. The oh, street okay. I was so, going to say, did you yeah. contemplate walking into his room with chloroform and just being no. like, "I'm <laughs> this is my spot now." No. Nah, okay. I, I would do the equivalent <laughs> to that on the court to him, so I wasn't too worried about it. I mean, it, basketball wasn't the reason why I got cut from there. It was just I didn't know how to be a pro. Yep. I, I met some young folks, you know, the first night that I was there, realized that clubs don't start until midnight and get done at five in the morning in Europe and that you can go to a club every single night in Europe. And, <laughs> what are yeah. they? OK, I feel dumb for asking this, but what's the currency there? Is it Deutschmarks? It was uh, the euro. The euro. OK, yep. so this was what I don't even know when this the euro 2007 was. 2007 that I was in okay. Germany. All right. So, wow. All right. Now, so you didn't end up sticking with the team no nope. what, what happened next uh i went to poland i left germany and went to a team in poland and uh i left that team after a week in the middle of the night without telling them because it was like so bad i mean like the village is just 
destroyed by, you know, the war still, like just remnants of stuff, dirt roads. I mean, there was a cow walking through the <laughs> parking lot of my hotel I was staying in. And in the room they gave me, I had to fold the bed up to take a shower because the shower was in the same oh, room no. as the bed. And I'm like, yeah. I, I think I, I toured a property like that last week. <laughs> I called my agent and I said, man, I can't do this here. Like, I, you know, I know that it's going to make it hard on you, make it harder on me. But, I mean, send me anywhere else. So, uh, thankfully, he got me a job in Switzerland. I went to Switzerland, settled in. Switzerland's beautiful. I mean, cleanest country I've been to. Uh, it's great. You know, three different cultures kind of inhabit the country, mm-hmm. you know, so it, it was a great experience. Unfortunately, that team ran out of money halfway through the season. Jeez. So they ended up folding. We stayed, some of us stayed for a couple more weeks trying to give our agents an opportunity to find us somewhere else to go. Played for free. I ended up finishing that year in Japan. Yeah, this is like a choose your own adventure story here. I went from turning down junior college scholarships at some of the top JUCOs for full rides to go pay for school because I didn't want to leave home to, you know, five countries in my first 10 months leaving home. So it sounds like Switzerland was probably the best out of the, the places that you were in Europe. Japan's pretty. Japan's pretty nice. I mean, Switzerland. What, what city Switzerland, were you there in Japan? Yeah, Niigata. Niigata. Okay. Yeah. Isn't yeah. Switzerland the place where it's like like something crazy, like three women to every guy? Don't they have a huge like, racial difference? It's something we'll, like that. We'll have know. to defer to, yeah. to Andre over it's here. Something like that. I was there for four months before the team folded, but I mean, it's just one of the you know. I'm, we're walking down the street and I see a guy smoking and he puts it out and puts it in his pocket. Like I've never seen something like that. And then you start looking around and you're like, man, there's no trash. There's literally no butts. There's no graffiti. Like Switzerland is just clean. The cleanest place I've ever been. I, we have a mutual friend uh, named David Bader who's from Lincoln. Do you know, you know, Uh, David? So he, um, he called me like on, I don't know, Thursday last week. And he's like, Hey, uh, what's going on? Uh, and I'm like, not much. What's up with you? And he goes, he was uh, going to be flying out and wanted to know if he could leave my, leave his car at my house, which he's done before. And, and I'm like, oh, you know, I I need the spot. I have somebody else's vehicle, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, where are you off to? And he goes, Qatar. I'm like, what? Qatar, like Q-A-T-A-R. Mm-hmm. Like there's no U in there, which is weird. But they um, are hosting the World Cup. Evidently, I think it's in when, when is that? It's September. I'm not a soccer guy, yeah. uh, but he said the entire country is preparing for this, right? And so there's all this rental demand and housing demand and all this. You know, the economy is kind of surging because they're prepping for it. And I'm like, what are you doing there? And he's like, they have all this money that they want to invest in real estate in the U.S. because they feel the market is going to crater after the World Cup. Because they are, there's so much money there. They won the bid to host it, right, over, like, the U.S. and, you know, like, several other, other countries out there. But anyway, he's flying over there to um, – and, and he's ta- – and you were talking about, like, the cultural differences, like the cigarette, putting it out and putting it in your pocket thing. And I go, are you nervous at all? And he's like, yeah, I don't have any idea what I'm doing. He goes, you can't, like, point at anything. Like, with your finger there, you have to have, like, an open hand. When you're pointing, he's telling me all these little like subtle differences. You can't chew gum there. You can't do all this stuff. And I'm like, oh my god, you're you're a disaster. Like this is going to be hilarious debriefing you when you get back. But he's excited about it, and he's dating this girl that um, I guess has a has an office there or some type. Her employer does. So I who, who knows if we're going to hear from him again. But 
Hope you come back, Dave. We miss you, buddy. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, so you, how long were you in the? Is it, now, what league was it, or were you in a couple different ones? A couple different leagues. Every country has their NBA, mm-hmm. you know, and then their minor leagues under that and everything. So uh, there's one kind of United League that is the second best league in the world behind the NBA. You okay, know, that's called Euro League, where you'll have you know, a couple of the top teams from a dozen or so of the top countries, uh, basketball wise competing for the Euro league championship. So like Luka Doncic was the Euro league MVP or whatever, when he was 18 before he came to the NBA, mm-hmm. that's kind of the second best, but your league's like number two in the world, right? Yeah. Euro yeah, league second best league in the world. Yeah. Yep, that's second best league in the world. A lot of people think, Oh, Euro league means all of the countries. And it's just like, no, Romania doesn't have a Euro league team, but they have a professional league that guys go and play and, you know, make a, I would say probably a range of, you know, a, a 500 bucks a month to 5,000 a month or something, you know? So every country kind of varies, you know, the easiest way I can describe it is if you look at the Olympics and the teams that are normally successful, you know, Spain, Russia, you know, teams you see competing for medals and things, those are the teams that have the most money and have the best domestic leagues in Europe. I watched that. Uh, did you happen to catch that Adam Sandler movie that just came out on Netflix? Yeah, yeah. The Hustle? The Hustle, it was called? Yeah. yeah, it was about the guy from Spain, and yeah. he recruited him to come play in the U.S. And, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of like the opposite of what you went through. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, okay, now, so how long total were you over there? Uh, nine and a half years. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right, so so a while. Yeah, I played I played some time. Yeah. H- how often did you come back? Uh, every, every season you come back. So, I mean, if you're on a good team, your season lasts about 10 months. Okay. Uh, if you're on a bad team, you're home in about eight and a half, nine mm-hmm. months. Uh, so, you know, we would come back for between two and three months a year and split time between where my wife is from in Fremont and, you know, visiting our friends back in North Dakota. We both went to school, you know, together and, and then visiting my family back home in Minnesota. So, and then, I'd get on a plane and head off for training camp sometime in August, and she would come over after training camp and join join me, and you know, go back and forth kind of during the year. Cool. How where did where did you guys meet? Uh, you, we, you weren't married before you left, right? No, we we both played basketball overlapping years at North Dakota State. So oh, cool. So yeah, all right. She came in when I was a junior as a transfer. Uh, so now you, you, as a, yeah, as a senior, something busted a, your ankle up pretty bad. Is that what you said? Is yeah. that kind of what ended yeah, up yeah. being the end of your uh, professional career? No, no, that, that was the end of my men's league career here in Omaha. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> my kid, my kids kind of ended my professional career, man. Like, uh, uh, they were babies and I had signed to go back to Turkey and play and it's the day of, and we got passports and visas and we're packed and, you know, my wife's family's over, everybody's crying, and, you know, I'm just kind of had this doom and gloom feeling over me since I signed the contract, uh, of, you know, and I was just like, man, you know what, I don't even want to play no more, and I called my agent and told him, and he was pissed, and was yeah, like, mother effing me, and yeah, all the work he did, and I hung up the phone, and that was it, I've never thought about it since, so. Wow. And you didn't have any plan at all. Like how, what was your, I was planning to play basketball until my kids were old enough to start school. So I was like kind of looking at retiring a year ago instead of six years ago, you know, or five years ago, whatever. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So you came back stateside. 
how hard was it to get reacclimated to like living here full time? Oh, it's easy. It was fine. Yeah, it's, it's easy. How many, how many languages did you learn when you were gone? Uh, none. I only learned the cuss words. Yeah, I was going to say, did you learn all the swear words? That I was playing in so I could swear at refs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hence, now you're a ref. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at least you'll know what, what it all comes in all the different languages. Yeah. All yeah. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. all comes full circle, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, so, at what point did uh, real estate become a factor in, in your career? Uh, it was, I want to say, my third year. Uh, playing overseas uh, is the first time I heard about, you know, obviously you see the infomercials and all that as a kid growing up, be rich on, you know, real estate, buy my DVD or my VHS, whatever it was. But first time I had heard about real estate or like paid attention to it as an investment was my third year playing is like 2010. And uh, I just got a new teammate that replaced a, a guy, Kizel Wesson and uh, Kizel and I were very different. He was at the end of his career. I was at the beginning of my career. You know, I didn't take naps. I didn't have any structure. I'm just playing off basketball off of youth and energy and love for playing. And, you know, he's got a very structured life and disciplined and he's running businesses back home in Atlanta. And, you know, and eventually, you know, we clashed and he was just like, look, you either need to be in here and be quiet or get out of this room, like talking on road trips, you know, or get out of this room because I'm conducting business. And I'm like, yeah, what, whatever, what kind of business you got, Zelly? You know, and he's just like, you know, I own 250 units in uh, Atlanta and I own two smoothie shops and I own two uh, fitness studios. And I'm just like, what, 200, wow. yeah, 250 <laughs> units of what? And he's just like apartments, boy. Like, and I'm like, that's the first time because he was very serious. I've never seen him like this. He really didn't say much, but. He was always on his uh, laptop and talking to folks on uh, Skype and all of that. And you were, you were then like the Homer Simpson meme where it gets yeah, where he uh, like, back slowly up. into the bushes, yeah, right? Right. <laughs> you know. So, uh, so that was your first kind of like wow, shock factor yeah. of like, whoa, wait, wait a minute. Like, like I, I kind of had a, a tiny epiphany of like, oh man, like this is he's the type of person that my parents had to pay for exchange of us living in that house, mm -hmm. the landlord. Okay. You know, and that was like the first thing, you know, that went off. So, uh, I didn't do anything, you know, I didn't even try to educate myself anymore on it. I was just like, Oh, okay. So he's a businessman. I'm still going to kick his butt in uh practice tomorrow, you know, or whatever. So, uh, -huh. uh, so yeah, you know, that was the first time. And, and then, you know, the next year I didn't, I, a whole another year went by, another season went by. I didn't do anything on it. Zelly had went off to play for another team, kind of forgot about him. And then I end up playing in Italy uh, two years after that. So I come across uh, Kevin Fletcher. You know, he's now a realtor in Denver. I mean, like making good money and selling that crazy market and Fletcher Homes, I think is what it's called. But uh he's just like oh yeah you know i'm doing this this and this he's my new roommate on the road so at night you know he's like i'm doing this this and this i got a triplex in denver and i go back and i live in it in one year and then or in in the off season and i rent it out the rest of the time and like you know he's, you know he's like i'm about to buy this and buy that and you know now i'm like well now i'm about to start learning something you know and mm -hmm. I, I start learning from him and talking to him more and doing a little bit of research surface research you know uh and you know what was the advice that he gave you as a as a person that was just kind of interested in getting into? Do you have like some advice of what you should be doing first? Spend my money on real estate and not like a Maserati. <laughs> True. So you know, what I mean, yeah. 
Uh, I've never had the problem of just wasting money. You know, a lot of my teammates, we get paid to go buy Gucci belts, this and that, and all that stuff. And I, I would just, I always had the mindset of, I'd rather not make any money than lose any of the money I've already made. Was my mindset, and he was just like, "You got to do something," you know. So he's just like, "Buy a duplex or something, or at least buy yourself a townhouse, you know, to live in when you're home." So. I went home that year, and we bought our first property, which was a townhouse in Fremont that we lived in. Fremont, Nebraska. Fremont, Nebraska. Yep, and we lived in it in the off season. Uh, and then the following year, I bought my mom a house. Uh, bought up in St. Paul. Yep, up in St. Paul, Minnesota. Bought a couple uh, properties for family to live in. That's awesome. I love as that. well up there. And then the following, and then the following year after that is when I started buying. It, well, I guess I bought a couple in West Omaha townhouses uh that came up so that was that was when i started getting into investing so i skipped one i i bought a rental in fremont was my very first rental was in fremont and i bought that for my sister-in-law her family to live in case is it safe to say that these these houses you're buying for your family are not profit centers for you uh yeah no okay. any house that family lives in they take care of the expenses like they pay property taxes insurance all that they pay me and I pay them but I don't make it but those money. are your properties yeah they're mine they're and, in my name and uh, so I I did something similar to you I I my grandmother was in a position that she couldn't you know, she 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 had the family house and oh wait I purchased that house yeah. and uh, I take care of all the bills. And, uh, you know, for a long period of my life, that was a, that was a really financial struggle because here I am renting while, uh, someone living with three buddies while I'm, I'm taking care of another house and I didn't have that type of flow, but hindsight, um, you know, the property you're seeing right now, our listeners have heard this before. I wouldn't have been able to get this at that point unless I did hard money at the, uh, all the way through. If I wasn't able to use that, um, the equity that was in that as a, as a collateral to buy this property. So after 10 years, there was value that did come out of that. And it, and it actually has helped me grow my business. So is there, have you had to leverage any of those properties? Fortunately, no, I haven't leveraged any of them. I have watched that equity grow and, you know, so some it's paying of, you in a, in a different way. Yeah. It, it, some of these values, they've grown into the point where I'm just like, there's no way that little crap shack can be worth that. Like, <laughs> get out of here. Crap but, shack. you know, like. You know, I'm a ride with it. As long as my people need a place to stay, you know, I'm going to keep it as long as they're holding up their end of the bargain. You know, I'm not paying any of the bills. You know, I will kick my sister out same way I will kick any tenant out, you know, because any money I have to put into that house, she understands that it takes away from my family that I live with, not the family that I was born into. Yep. I'm going to choose them every time. So. so it's kind of a win-win, though, really, because it sounds like maybe you, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but maybe you bought something that they would not have been able to otherwise in their own name. Is that is that maybe true? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, n- not in their own name. Yeah, not with their own money. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, definitely check to check, hand, you know, to, to yeah. mouth type of situation. So, so. so you, you're basically getting, you, you signed a loan for the property and you're getting essentially a free house at the end of the day because and and with a lot less headaches than a maybe a normal landlord that self-managing would have to deal with because they're handling all the bills you trust them because they're family so it's that's kind of an interesting dynamic though right because you're probably not you know maybe you arguably can make better cash flow if you were just renting to like joe and susie down the street or whatever 
But uh, yeah, it seems like kind of a mutual benefit there or a symbiotic uh, type relationship you have with them. I mean, it's it's mostly beneficial to them, excluding my mom, mm-hmm. uh, because you know, I, I don't cash flow off those properties at all. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I bought them with cash, you know, years ago because I was earning a high level of income and I could do that, you know, uh, and just kind of left them, you know, as is like, hey, you know, insurance is this much every year property taxes are this much, you know, you're going to kick in 10% of that just in case, you know, something happens, you know, air conditioner goes out, yeah, something you know, like that. Yeah. You know, and I know you're not going to have three grand to, oh yeah, throw a new unit on out there and that three grand is not going to come out of my pocket type of thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, I mean, it's beneficial for my, for my soul and my peace of mind that my nieces and nephews and some family members have uh, a better housing situation you know stable than i did you know which should you know prove to be an an advantage for them in their development you know what's going to happen next though andre is like some of your distant relatives are going to sign up for like 23 and me and they're gonna be like oh uncle andre time to go house shopping they're like i heard you what you did for this other part of the family they can try (laughs) they can try well, I tell you, uh, there was when I asked uh, you before this interview what your why is. You, you talk about family and financial stability. Yeah, but um, it kind of sounds like there's a little bit more to your why. Uh, just from listening to you so far, it seems like uh, part of your why is also creating uh, financial stability and housing, nice, good housing for for your family that maybe didn't wouldn't have had that opportunity. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I mean, that's going above and beyond, bro. Yeah, I mean, well, just for me, I, I mean, just. You know, everybody has their story or whatever. They're the main character of their movie, whatever. But uh, I truly believe that, you know, increased facilities and opportunities and quality of materials and things, you know, really help, you know, push someone forward that, you know, might not get catapulted if they didn't have those things, you know, to to be secure with. You're changing the you're changing trajectories of their lives. Yeah, breaking cycles. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's, yeah. My, that's my goal, man. I mean, breaking cycles, and you see that a lot in um, because people, whether they realize it or not, ha- have a tendency to inherit habits, e- even if they're bad habits of their parents and their parents' parents. Definitely. And bad financial uh, habits are like devastating when you look at it over a long you know lens, right? Because People just can't get out of that cycle. And I know I have several friends like that Yeah, that are, and, and it's funny because, you know, at a certain point you get to be like, and I don't know what the age is, but I remember thinking like, I'm kind of running around with the same people and it's like, we're okay. We're like 30, we're 35 or whatever. Like we should have our crap together by now. And like you, you know, you don't have an extra $200. Like what, what is it? What is this? Like look in the mirror, yeah. and I think some people just refuse to do that. So I like the I like what you said there about breaking cycles. That's uh, a yeah. that's that's yeah, that's pretty impactful. I think. Now, Andre, what um, how maybe talk a little bit about you? You mentioned there were two players that you were around that maybe were kind of the original catalyst of putting the idea of real estate investing into your head. Yeah. What uh, did you have anything else that you did to kind of help further your knowledge, or were you more like I'm just going to buy a house? It's in a good part of town, I think. What what maybe talk about that? How did you put your, I guess, new ideas into an action plan? So the first 
property I bought was the one in Fremont for my sister-in-law and her family. You know, I'm like, I can't miss with that. You know, she's a lawyer, husband's an accountant. They got a mountain of student loan debt. They'll be able to pay rent, right? You know, so that that was going well and everything. And I came back the next year coming off probably my best basketball season, you know, money-wise and playing-wise. And I'm like, man, you know, I got extra three-quarter million dollars, you know, like, what am I going to oh do with God. it? You know, wow. like, you know, I was playing in Russia, and I'm like, what am I going to do with it to keep from blowing it, you know? Sure. Hey, like, since you do that, can, really quick, how, what does EuroLeague pay a player? Yeah, I wanted to ask in, that, but in, in a year. So there's guys, I mean, again, it's that wide range of, of country to country. I mean, there's guys that get paid 500 bucks, live in an apartment with five of their teammates, and work a construction job at night yeah. in Australia. What, just was, what, was your, what was your personal high and low? My low, my starting, my lowest one was 3,200 bucks a month right for 10 months so thirty-two thousand, and then my highest was 800 grand with bonuses that's amazing so, man but that was you know probably seven years apart of growing building building you know mm -hmm. so okay. i mean i played i played in places where i slept on a mattress that didn't have a box spring i didn't have a refrigerator i had a hot plate for my my stove like i'm going to the store every single day no internet. I'm talking to family on payphone for months and months. Oh, geez. My money's late every single month. Yeah. And I didn't have money to start with. So you, you wake like, up and there's like, there's a goat standing in your room and it has a red bow on it. Yeah. They're like, here's your, here's yeah, your, right. but here's your season yeah. bonus. <laughs> You're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what? So that contract that you walked away from in Turkey, uh, yeah. what, what was that contract? Uh, 390. 390. That's yep. a lot to walk away from. Yep. Yep. I mean, I got an offer for 300 grand 18 months after I retired to go to Luanda, Africa. And I was just like, it's been 18 months, man. I'm not about to play basketball again at that level. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'll get hurt or something. Wow. I, I mean, I just had no idea. So, like, oh, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, an, I, I, you know, my highest earning averages, I'm like a middle of a pack of the 1%, you know, like. You know, 1% of the guys have 99% of the money in the NBA, you know, kind sure. of type of thing. Same thing in Europe. Like, you know, if a team has a guy making a million dollars a year, the next closest guy is either going to be a million or he's going to be 100,000. Like, mm. Yeah, big disparity know, between the top yeah, and, the, yeah, and, the, and, the, yeah. and the bottom earners. Yeah. Huh. Wow. That's cool. So, Wow. So you made a pot of money in a short amount of time, and yep. you were like, I don't want to lose this. I want to put it in something where I know um, it's going to have some safety to it. There's, It's probably a good idea because my family's also going to live there, so that's kind of a double insulation against uh, you know being able to – you know or losing yeah. it. Yeah. Right. And so you have – I think you mentioned before the podcast, you have six rentals now. Yeah. Is that correct? That you own on your own? Yep. I'm down to six. I had a bunch to start. Now, does yeah, that, talk does about that, that. Does that include your family houses? Or are you not including that? Uh, not including those. <clears throat> so, okay, so but, those are bonus houses. Yeah. I mean, but those are houses, and yeah, but I don't make any money off those houses. So you're I, gaining equity. I'm a uh, I'm, uh, and, yeah. you're getting and you're getting tax write offs. Yeah, uh, I like the modesty. Yeah, but I mean, I like I look <laughs> I, I look at it like you know it's money in my savings account. I don't have that money. Like that's in my savings account. It's there. Mm -hmm. I can use it. But I better find fifty ways, you know, to not use it. To not use it before I go and use it. You know, same thing with like if I take one of them houses away, if I take my mom's house away, you know what I mean? That's gonna I, who knows what that would do to her life, you know, mm -hmm. like on a just how it would disrupt it. So those don't count. I don't have those, you know, uh they don't exist. 
How did you go about evaluating what you were going to buy? Were you like, I want to buy single families and I want to buy them in this part, these parts of town or what was the thought process there? So looking back on it now, I'm just like, man, I am so lucky. Cause <laughs> here I am flying around with this, uh, you know, 1% rule that I only know surface stuff about like all my knowledge was very superficial, like enough to have a conversation with somebody, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, that was it to like, but, I'm, I'm, so I'm like, all right, you know, what I want is it's got to be 15 years or newer. Right. Okay. And I'm like, I got to be able to get the 1% in rent. So if it's going to be whatever, 120, I got better get, be able to get 1200 or, you know, for mm -hmm. rent. And, uh, that was just kind of my mindset. And I'm like, you know, I meet a couple of realtors first couple, you know, now looking back, I can tell they were probably like, man, this dude ain't got no money. He don't even know what the heck he's talking about. He ain't going to buy anything. We're looking at all these places. He's not going to buy anything. Right. Like get out of here, you know? And I finally find one lady. She's now she's now. Uh, I, was, I was like, I was like addressing how you were probably addressing yeah, them. Like yeah. give him the finger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I meet this one gal, uh, Jen, Jen Bennett, I think is her name. She's Berkshire Hathaway, uh, now selling, you know the seven figure stuff but uh she's like well i actually have a townhouse you know that's off market this guy wants to sell it he lives in colorado his daughter was living in it going to school yada yada uh i think you could get 1250 a month for renting it i'm like all right you know i'm you know here in my my uh naive mind i'm like yeah hey, she's telling me the truth and nothing you know this would be perfect right like i'm honest so she's gonna be honest right and uh, i got lucky you know it was I rented it for twelve fifty, and you know I paid one twenty five for it, and then perfect. Uh, met ended up meeting the neighbor, and the neighbor was like, "Well, you know, my husband's retiring, and we're going to move back to Ohio where we're from. Do you want to buy our place?" And I bought her place for similar price because I was like, you know, I was like, "Well, I paid this much for that place, so your place ain't worth more than that, and I ain't going to give you more than that." You know, and they were like, "All right, we just want to get up out of here." You know, kind of got that one, and then. Got two more down the street. Uh, it's like 144th Ave and Fort uh, in that Weston Hills uh, yep. HOA, and uh, so that's I got like my first four like real quick. Spent up all my Russian league money. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> it goes out a lot faster. Yeah, than like, it comes you know, in, I was, it? I was, I was, I. You weren't doing loans; you're just straight paying cash. Yeah, I was paying cash. I mean, you got to oh, remember, yeah. like my cash was I cut it in. You know, I gave my mom 25 percent off top, just like five, you know, here you go. Jeez, and then, yeah, I mean, it's the least I could do for my mom for the things that it's the mom know, tax. Yeah. So, but you know, uh, and then, yeah, I was, went back overseas. I hired a property management management company. Was it uh, Nebraska Lifestyles or yep. something like that? Yeah, they're and, still around. Yep they they managed my stuff while I was playing. Kind of towards the end, they were letting it slip, and uh, I I was retiring anyway, so. Uh, yeah, I slowly took back the management and kind of learned the the game from the ground up. You still own those townhouses? Uh, I own four of the six that I bought in that neighborhood. And uh, I mean, you bought for what one twenty five? What do you think they're one, worth now? Uh, like over guys are offering me what they're taxed at, like two seventeen right now. Now, did you when they call? You still me. just own them outright, or do you get yeah, loans on them? I got loans on two of them. Okay. So, and then just reapply that money to some other stuff. Bought bought uh, three more houses in a package from a guy uh, with the money out of that, out of those two that I took out of those two because I had run out of money and then I was uh, hadn't left to go overseas yet. And then this package came up and uh, I leveraged two of them with 
uh, shoot a bank that's not even around anymore. Uh, unlike a 144th in Dodge, uh, on that northeast corner, but uh, leveraged those, bought three from a guy, and then you know, left sight unseen. I bought these three, one of them I actually live in right now, uh, and then the other two I've since sold, one being my first flip, and then. One just kind of getting rid of because it was a nightmare. That twelve fifty rent, where is that at now? Uh, fifteen seventy five. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Now you mentioned flip. Uh, you obviously own some rentals and you own some free family housing. Uh, what all have you done in real estate? Are those kind of the three main things, or have you owned other stuff, other you know, other asset classes? Nope. I've uh only owned single family stuff. Uh, I've since taken on a partner who's much smarter than I am. Uh, and has a completely different skill set than I do. And what is that skill set? Uh, dealing with people and you know the spreadsheets and the tracking things. He's a number and, guy. Yeah, he's the numbers guy. Yeah. And you know, uh, he's Owen's a, got one of those guys. He's a salesman, and you know, he knows <laughs> how to talk to folks. Where you know, I'm I'm gonna tell you to pound sand, and he's gonna be like, well, you know, let's figure this out. Where it's still gonna be beneficial. So you what's know? your what's your part of that partnership? Uh, I'm the labor donkey. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the feet on the ground. I like I like the grind and I like, you know, I've learned a wide range of skills and I continue to improve those. And I don't mind applying them uh, for things that benefit our our business. And yeah. So how did you guys structure that partnership? Uh, 50, 50. I mean, okay. you know, he well, kinda, put in 50, 50 money, you put 50, 50 money. I mean, he it sounds like you're doing more work though. You're, you're, you're he bring, he brings his skill set. He brings, you got to keep in mind. I, I've never had a job in my life, like, uh, other than play basketball. So, you know, it's hard to grow a business when nobody's willing to give you money unless you go hard money. Right. So, uh, he's been a big help in that, you know, just coming in with his being able to match me dollar for dollar, whatever it is I have and, and be able to buy stuff and, you know, and, and run the numbers and everything. How do you guys, how did you guys meet? Uh, we played college basketball together. Oh, cause you know him a while, yeah, quite yeah, a while since I was 20. Yeah. So. Yeah. And now he does not live in this market, correct? He, he lives in Salt Lake city, Utah. Yeah. Salt Lake city. Okay. Yeah. Do you guys own anything there? Uh, no, is it all in a, in the Omaha? Yeah, it's Omaha, Nebraska market. That, that's kind of how we partnered up. Is you know he was seeing what I was doing, you know, with a couple flips and and rentals, and he, you know, he's just like, you know, I'd love to get in this. You know, the market in Utah is crazy, but you know, can we partner? So, mm -hmm. you know, maybe tell us about your first flip. How did that happen? What did it look like? Maybe uh, uh, just kind of describe the story. My first flip was in Ramble Ridge. Uh, Elkhorn. No, no, Ramble Ridge, uh, 114th and Fort. Uh, oh, wrong. I, okay. I, I bought a string of my properties right up and down Fort Street from 114th up to 144th. Got uh, it. Okay, I'm thinking of Ramble Wood, yeah. I think, or something like that. Anyway. So Ramble Ridge, yep. Uh, it's a split level. I bought it in that package I mentioned from the guy that was selling me three of them. Uh Paid like ninety five grand for it. Inherited a tenant uh, in it who was a decent tenant for the first eight months. He was a roofer, did a lot of repairs himself, uh, which can be good and bad. Could be good and right. bad. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, so it was mostly good, and then uh, he things I didn't know. He was a recovering meth addict, uh, oh, bipolar boy. personality. He went off his meds. Uh, started, you know, this is like eight months of paying on time and everything and no problems. And 
you know, him always sending pictures, look what I did to make this better. And I'm just be like, yeah, good job, guy. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, he went off his meds and, and I get a call from the neighbor that's just like, yeah, you know, Jacob's jumping the fence and running through everybody's yard. He like jumped his fence and then the next fence and then the next fence. He probably just hurdled the whole thing because he's so, he's so doped up. Yeah, he's in his <laughs> underwear. They're like, he's in his underwear. And then, oh my God, he's assaulting Bill, the neighbor across the street because this was like a dead end cul-de-sac, <laughs> right? Like, don't call me, call the police. Yeah, and I'm <laughs> like, call the police. Like, get off the phone with me. And she hangs up. But like, I guess he ran over there and like shoved Bill to the ground and stuff and got in his car and like squealed tires and drove off and then like rear-ended somebody before he even got out of the cul-de-sac meth is a hell of a drug bro and the police came and you know (laughs) just ask owen he he, he's been cleared up for at least 10 years now you know i i had to ted i had to yeah i had to kick his his uh his wife and kids out which was tough for me to do you know his first eviction i ever had to do yeah you know they're just like well jacob's in jail we can't pay i'm just like bye yeah i mean i'm sorry like yeah Yeah, it's it's uh, one of those things where a lot of times I think residents or tenants will will feel you out on how much you're willing to absorb their problems. Yep. You know, they'll say they'll offer up an excuse of why they can't pay or their situation, expecting or hoping that you're going to be like, oh, that sucks. Here's what I'll do for you. Yeah. But if you if you don't react to that in a way that is receptive, then they'll probably choose plan B, which is like, okay, we got to figure out somewhere else to go. Right. Do you, would you agree with that? Yeah, guys, I'm totally on the same boat. Yeah. Like they, I mean, this is, it's a real thing. People will just tell you something and then they want to see how you react to it. Yeah. And if you have any give at all, then expect more. And then it'll be like, well, I can't pay. I got to pay my cell phone. I mean, what do you want me to do? I can't get a hold of my daughter. Right. It's like, okay, no, you need a roof over your head. Okay. Yeah. Pay me first. Then worry about everything else. Yeah. I had a tenant do that, that she was like, it was a daughter and a mom and they were living together. And the daughter was in California the day rent was due for her birthday. And mom was like, oh, I broke my foot three weeks ago. So I haven't been able to work. And I'm just like, well, you knew your foot was broke three we- weeks ago and you couldn't work. And, your daughter knew rent was due when she was going to California. Like, I'm sorry. You know, I know, like, right? Like, yeah. It's like they're describing yeah. things and, yeah. with no plan at right. all. It's yeah. like, oh, well, oh, crap. It's the first of the month. I right. better make up an excuse or whatever. Right. Yeah. So, but, yeah, so I kicked them out of that house, and then I do my first attempt at handyman stuff, turning stuff over, trying to get ready because I'm, you know, I'm slowly taking back my rentals one by one to manage them. And uh, I put a tenant in there, and all is well for about a year and a half. This was the young couple that I was mentioning before. Didn't have a great credit score, but didn't owe anybody any money. You know, they were like 21 and 22, married, three kids already. And uh, they just trashed that house completely, you know. And it's like brand-new carpet, paint, you know, painted the cabinets all horribly. How long, how, long, <laughs> how long were they there before you started knowing about this? Uh, they were there – first nine months it was great like they paid rent cut the grass everything looked good and and, and you know that because you do walkthroughs frequently or well then i would only do one a, one a year like so i would do it at the end of every year you know i tried i was trying to get people to sign two-year leases and i would like come at the end of the year but unless i came over to pick up rent you know, I I didn't bother folks. I'm just like, you pay your rent, I'm not coming by. You know, if you, if you didn't pay your rent and I come knock on your door, I'm, I am going to try to, you know, step in and wait for my rent or hear what your excuse is. But uh, one of my 
deficiencies as a investor, you know, not checking up, following up. So it wasn't until I had realized that they hadn't paid rent in two months, about a year and a half in, and I'm just going to hell at this time. Not, you know, I'm not paying attention. My dad's dying from cancer. So I'm back home a lot at during this time. And I come back and I'm just like, yo, you, you know, you, I haven't got rent in two months. Like that's my fault. I haven't, uh, been up on it. I got my own stuff going on, but I'm here now. And I, I expect at least this month of rent and, they're like, you know, the next, they're like, yeah, come back and get it to, you know, tomorrow we'll have it, you know, cashier's check. All right. They were gone. Next day they packed up, and oh, took, been, oh, packed, packed up and took what they wanted and left the know, rest, left the rest. It was trashed. I mean, uh, they were, they, they were hiding a dog in the kennel, like had bag, you know, trash bags all around it and just the opening for the kennel to go in and out. But you know, was the dog still there when you, when they moved out? No, it, it was gone. Uh, but you know, all of its feces and all of that was right in the kennel right there so so i decided i said all right you know uh this house has been a nightmare you know with uh jacob beating up 67 year old bill across the street and then these folks and to avoid uh you know upsetting anybody else because i'm a homeowner you know i'm like i'm just gonna fix this place up and sell it you know and i'm like we're gonna take it down to the studs because i have no idea what a house looks like on the inside and I'm going to get these two guys that I know that have been doing the work for me to come over. And I'm basically going to pay them to laugh at me, do stuff the wrong way, <laughs> and then show me how to do it the right way. And, you know, that's how I – those are Manuel. That's how I got turned on to the Modelo uh, Chilada because <laughs> he would sit there and laugh at me, you know, trying to put in a sliding door. And I put this screw too far in and it sucks it all the way this way. And then I put a screw here and then, it, you know, so uh, yeah. that was kind of my – junior college education <laughs> uh putting that house back together and selling it and then uh you know the rest is history from there i met a, another kind of guys just starting off and uh we we did three more flips together you know just kind of learning uh me learning from him and you know kind of allowing him the grace to figure stuff out too you know uh and you know we had, had a nice little run How, how'd you do on the flips that first one, I got forty four grand. That's the most I've made on a flip. So, and then all the other ones, I was buying them. You get keep in mind, I I bought that f- house when people were still losing their houses in like two thousand and ten. Sure, yeah. Uh, but real quick, are you, uh, on the tenants that were gone, yeah. Uh, d- did you get any of that money? No, uh, did, or did you go after it? No, Jacob. Uh, or no, wasn't Jacob. Uh, the one guy, Noah, and his wife end up splitting up. And uh, I just, I mean, I kept the deposit and, you know, like that but was it. I you didn't, didn't go after it in no. any courts or trying no. to get damages or anything? No, I'm not a big uh, courts guy. That's one of the things I've had to learn to adjust and, and handle correctly because I've been more, uh, you know, you screw me over, we can fight and then call it square and go on about our business and <laughs> settle it outside. Yeah, of the court. Like, you yeah. know, let's settle this real quick and then we'll go on about our business, you know, but, but I mean, a person of your stature, you can't I mean, do you that. Have, you got a lot to lose. Can't do that. That's what I'm saying. That has been kind of one of the adjustment things, you know, so that one, that was the first time a tenant had screwed me over and nobody's ever done anything of that sort since. And I've done a better job picking tenants, not, Giving people the benefit of the doubts, checking properties. What what's some of your uh, tenant uh, processes for bringing a tenant in? Like, what's your check procedures? Like, what's your what's you know, your minimums? Just that three times. I mean, I've kind of followed. Seemed like that's the safest bet. Is you know, if no, you, like a, like a new applicant. 
Yeah, like a new applicant. Yeah. You know, you fill out your application. We yeah. run it. You know, if your job and income checks out, you know, uh, I, if you got any evictions, unless they're a decade ago, I, I don't want to hear You're doing it. background checks? Yeah. And credit checks? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Zillow's yeah. making it real easy now really for easy. you. So uh, that's what kind of what we, you know, Sam has now taken over that stuff, uh, running all that and dealing with folks and. You know, are uh, you happy about that? Like, yeah, are, yeah. I hate are the you administrative like, Thank stop. God he took that over. You know, dealing with filling a unit seemed like much more work to me than you know closing in a the porch on this house that I'm working on now. You know, in a hundred degree heat, like I'd much rather be dealing with that than you know talking to folks trying to convince me why I should let them live in my place. Isn't that funny that physical versus mental problems? Uh, that arise in this business are handled much differently, or, or I guess your brain processes them a lot differently depending on your personality and kind of like how you are as a person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah I, I totally understand what you're saying though, because so I'm, and I'm not, I'm a, I'm far worse of a handyman than you are. I don't even need to see any examples of your stuff to know that, but like, I like kind of being able to turn off all the problems and just like work with my yeah. work with my hands, even though I'm not very good at it, just like painting or like, you know, fixing trim or, you know, just random repairs. Then sometimes, you know, just cause I deal with an avalanche of like just problem, 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 problem all day long with just stuff that's either unsolvable or it's tricky or like you have to do stuff on the computer or whatever. Right. Sometimes it's just like, ugh, I just want to get away from that for a little bit and turn off my mind and just work. Yeah, I mean, you know I, I mean, I've taken all those business professional writing, you know, keyboarding, uh, Microsoft, all of that classes in college. But I've lived a life that I didn't have to use any of that, and it's really a skill that I'm not trying to relearn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'd rather let Sam deal with it. There's a question that Owen always likes likes to ask people, but uh, do you have any like crazy wild investment stories? Like, have you had any like like? good fun stories to tell like, that would be pretty entertaining dead bodies or uh no dead no <laughs> dead meth bodies. addicts jumping no. fences that was actually pretty good that'd be the craziest one i've had is uh the, you know that guy going off his meds and stuff and jumping the fence and fighting the 67 year old neighbor bill across the street <laughs> it's pretty crazy wrecking his car yeah and then and then i've had the one tenant disappear on me but you know other than that i mean it's little stuff like you know i'll somebody that's not used to having their yard aerated, you know, they're calling me like somebody's dog is pooping in my yard. And, you know, I'm like, <laughs> there's a thousand of them. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm sure somebody's walked by, you know, and pooped and they don't pick it up. Like some dog owners are irresponsible, whatever, you know, she's like, no, there's so much of it. I think they're bringing it to my house. And I'm like, did you upset somebody or, and, you know, <laughs> so I go and look, I'm like, no, this is literally dirt. Like it's, you know, no, it's, it's part dirt. of the it's part of the long oh service. Oh my god! Yeah, so, wow. Yeah, so. <laughs> okay, so uh, a little bit about you and your family. Uh, you're you're married for what eleven years? Eleven Emmy. years. Yeah. Uh, you got twin children. Yep. And is it, is it uh, Victor and Vincent? Yes, sir. And uh, they're both six years old. Yep. So you got a lot going on. You're you're the you're the man on the ground. You're busy as heck. Um, you got life. You got coaching. You got investment properties. Um, one's spoken of and one's not spoken of. I mean, what is your way of balancing all this? Like, how do you make time for your wife? How do you make time for the kids? How do you make time for business? Do you have like standards that are in place for you? Uh, not necessarily standards, but, uh, you know, I just try to balance it. You know, if I 
go and spend 10 hours working on a project, you know, for three days in a row, you know, then I know I better put three days in a row or 10 hours of, you know, spending with my family, whether that just be holding down the kids so my wife can go and do all her madness, you know, that she's got to take <laughs> care of. She's way busier than I am, you know. Uh, Does she work? Does yeah, she work? Yeah. She's the executive director for Parkinson's in Nebraska's nonprofit. Oh, wow. oh cool. And then uh, she's what a, a great cause. Yeah, she's an adjunct instructor for College of St. Mary and Bellevue University. So she's kind of a mercenary teaching yeah. whatever they don't have. She does a little course development for them. She's working on working on her doctorate while while taking care of me and uh and the kids. Nice. So, wow. Like I said, I mean, she's she's a former basketball player. She understands my mindset. It's just you know I'm I'm just a grinder. Like you know if. I watched my parents both work two jobs their entire life. I'm just like, yes, I, I own vending machines and they make pa- semi-passive income. So, you know, I'm doing that a couple of times a day a week. But wait, that, wait, 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 wait. You own a vending machine business? I own 10 vending. I wouldn't call it a business. I own 10 vending machines in like four locations. Now, what what type of vending machines are these? Snacks and drinks. Okay, so they're the big ones, like Ontario's. Yeah, uh, vary in sizes. So, like, I have Blackburn High School's staff lounge. You know, they don't have that many teachers at Blackburn. So it's like a combo machine where there's like 40 snack options and yeah, yeah. snack options. Uh, I, have I talked about this before? I used to own a vending. You talked about, yeah. talk about the kids having gumball machines or something. Yeah, I, I, the, so my, when my, I think it was my grandmother had passed away, um, I inherited like 16 grand and I took 12 of that and I bought a vending route. That was mine. Mine weren't the full size ones. Mine yeah. were just like the quarter. Yep. You put a quarter in, you get a handful of candy. There's yep. three three different choices or whatever. And I had like forty locate or forty machines, and I don't know thirty locations, something like that. But yeah, I would go yeah. and collect. You know, every weekend I would yeah. go and do the vending route, and uh, it was uh, I made pretty good money. I mean, twelve yeah. grand, I made seven hundred a month, and I say mine. I've just gotten five of them relocated. You know, a couple months ago, and you know they're they're now grossing about six grand and I got two really bad locations still like that. I need to upgrade. How'd you get into that? Uh, a guy that I played men's league with here in town was just like, you know, I bought a couple of vending machines and I said, tell me about it. You know, how yeah. much time, how much time of your time does it take? And you know, what do you got to do? And you yeah. Know, and I said, well, that sounds like some, I got, I can find 10 hours in a week to go fill 10 vending machines, shop, fill them, you know, and, make 2500 bucks in profit right now the the hardest part 40 hours a month the hardest part about uh, vending business is getting good locations yes how did you go about that after you bought like you so you just went out and bought the machines like you just bought them and then you figured out where to put them or did you actually buy them when they were on location kind of like real estate man you know i just jump in and try to figure out what i'm doing before i sink so a couple of them i bought before i had any locations and then uh most of them i bought locations the final locations and then put the machine so so i had uh i had a I, I was super geeked out about the vending business like everywhere we went i was like oh i could put a vending machine there i could put one there i could put one there like i was really into it and then i just got burned out after a while i worked a lot of a lot of hours on my regular jobby job and then but i i remember i was like and I don't have time to like go out and place these, yeah. you know, cause you have to go in and pitch the owner of the business or oh, the yeah. manager on like, here's what I have. And let they're basically like, yeah, pound sand or get, you know, get out of here. I don't want yeah. that here, but they actually have vending locator 
yeah, services. Yeah. That, and I don't, did you ever use any yeah. of those? Uh, I used one at the very beginning, and you know, all they do is screw you over. They're salesmen. They try to sell you, you know, like the they, you know, they'll sell you twenty five grand worth of machines for a place that's going to make yeah. one hundred and fifty bucks a month, right? Like, you know, and then be like. Oh yeah, we'll move them for you, or we'll keep moving them until they're successful. You know, two year guarantee, and it's like, okay. so so I got. But why, but why don't you put them in like your apartment buildings or your commercial property? I don't have them now. I, I, but, but, but right now, though, why wouldn't you? Like, why wouldn't you say, "Hey, I got my your apartment building on uh, Park Ave or whatever," right? And why don't you uh, Fifth Ave? What do you call it? Uh, yeah, Fifth Avenue Apartments. Yeah, like, like, put it in the laundry room. I yeah, guess. why would you yeah. put one in the laundry room? Because he's leaving it for me to do. That's why. Yeah, Dennis is going to handle that for me. That's our new. That's my expansion arm. Um, no, I just I don't know. I just kind of lost sight of it. Uh, I, it hasn't been a priority, and it's just it's one of those things. I mean, I like laundry. I mean, I make money on laundry. The ones that Jets doesn't manage. Thanks I mean, Jets. I mean, if I could, if I could fit a vending machine next to my machines downstairs, I'd put one. Yeah, do it. Buy it off of uh, buy it off. Of I, can't, I couldn't get it downstairs. So <laughs> if I wanted to, <laughs> uh, but I, what I was going to say is, so I paid this vending locator, right? Uh, and it was like it wasn't much, but I didn't have much money at the time, so I paid him whatever I paid him to locate ten machines, and then I I just got scammed, and I actually called the FBI. Yeah, like they were on like, and I don't know what ended up happening out of it, but I was like stressed and mad, and I just wanted to be like, no, screw you, I'm gonna call the FBI, and I did, and because it was like internet, you know, yeah. scamming or whatever. Yeah. So anyway, that Anything was my first. Happened from that? No, 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 never got any money. Of course not. So tell me a little bit more. Like uh, you mentioned, your wife is doing the. I mean, working for a charity, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nonprofit. Is, yeah. is it? Is there other charities that you to support? Uh, or causes that you guys support? You know, not not really. I mean, there's you know we do a little bit for scholarship at my junior college uh, that I went to, North Dakota State College of Science. You do a scholarship? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not a little. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you, do you provide scholarships? Owen? Scholarships vary in sizes <laughs> and what's and that? Value. You provide scholarships? Uh, I'm actually in the process of getting one oh. set up at my high school where I, where okay. I graduated well, from. So uh, there's gonna be a dash. I went okay. So well, so I mean, they, might not be yeah. anonymous. Uh, but uh, no, that's cool, man. So um, you mentioned cool. before we got on air that you don't really like real estate, but you like what real estate can do for you. Can that's you explain right. that? Uh, real estate is, you know, like to me, it's a monumental hassle. I mean, like you own all these things that are never going to be maintained to the level that you want them to be maintained to, you know, you constantly got to trust other people to treat your property, you know, with care and it taxes the, you know, the values going up, finding good people that are consistent with their pricing and their quality of work and being where they say they're going to be, when they're going to be there and all the things that you got to deal with and overcome to have a successful real estate business is just to me, you know, it's like that physical versus mental. It, it's a hassle. But if you're able to deal with that and overcome it and find all those things and be successful, the things real estate can do for you are, you know, endless. Like the amount of money you can make and what you can do with that money. Money doesn't buy happiness, but I've never met an unhappy rich person. You yeah. Know, like you, you can do so much good with the type of money you can make from owning real estate. I kind of perked up when I heard you say that because I, it kind of, I don't know that I've ever exactly like verbalized that, but I actually feel that way too. Like I hate owning real estate. 
I don't, I don't like it at all. Uh, but everything that it allows you to do as a result of owning it is you can't find it anywhere else. Nope. I mean, you really can't. Nope. I, at least I haven't been able to. Professional but sports. I, I don't like owning real estate because it is constant problems. Nope. And, and like, I just, and it's never at a good time. And there's hailstorms and fires and like just tenants that are on meth and chase down neighbors and beat <laughs> them up and stuff like that. Right. It's always that. I mean, they're right. fun stories to tell, but, but they suck at the but time. But you're also at a way different level. I mean, like the amount of properties that you and I have versus what Owen have. Like, when you have your quantity of properties, you have a huge quantity of issues. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but I have property managers too, but it, I, I would, I would make an analogy to like a sandcastle. So when you're on vacation and, and you're uh, you, you ever build like a kick-ass sandcastle, you're like, Oh man, that looks really good. Or at least my kids have made some that look good, but it slowly erodes over time. And right. that's kind of what like a rental property is typically because you make it really nice and you got in there, especially if you're doing sweat equity, it pisses you off like nothing else because yeah. you're putting your own blood, sweat and tears into it. And then fast forward a year later and it's like, oh man, it needs repainted. It needs blah, blah, blah. All these little things broke, you know, things yeah. like that. It's like, it's not pretty anymore. Right. Like you're like, here, okay, it's done. All that satisfaction you get from yeah. making it look that way get snatched from you there, there's a control it, it's kind of like this so in a lot of uh organizations of of some size they'll typically have like a business development person and then they'll have an account management team or at least some organizations do right so your business development person is like the hunter they like going out finding deals and getting them closed and yep. then then they pass them off to the account manager who deals with the problems Right, they're dealing with customer service. They, you know, something's not right with my order, or this didn't get delivered, or blah 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 blah. All those problems. I'm the hunter. I like finding deals. I like negotiating them. I like dealing with all the the sellers and solving problems for people on the front end. And then I don't want to deal with anything after that. Right. Which is great having property managers out there. But then you have to manage the manager, and there's always other problems and and so forth. I just yeah. anyway, yeah. I just wanted to explore that topic a little bit because I feel the same way. And it's uh, yeah, I, I think after a while, it just kind of like that's why you get don't want landlords too. Yeah, and well, people just get burned out on it. But I, I, I don't know if I'm going to get burned down on it, but I'm glad to know that I'm not a unicorn. Yeah, you're not alone, man. <laughs> you're not alone. Trust but me. As, as long as I'm alive, I'm going to keep hustling real estate yeah. of what it does for you. you know, like I said. Well, so far on this podcast, you're a unicorn. These stories are all original and for <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so this is all due to us. Hey, give me a little uh, something. To, tell me a little bit about you, – you talked about um, you know your why with financial stability, and you talked about your family. you got these young kids. What is what is your what's Andre? What's the Smith family long play? What is this? Is this a legacy build? Is this a retirement plan? Is this something that you're going to get that you hope to get your kids involved with? You know, where are you at ten years from now, twenty years from now? Where's the retirement goals? I hope I am still grinding in some aspect of real estate, not just sitting back and wearing, you know polos and counting checks i'd like to still be hands-on i mean for me like i said i just have such a hustler's grinder spirit that you know even if i don't know how to do it you know and i'm gonna pay you to do it let me come and be the part of the labor to learn i mean let me i'll come and learn so for me it's legacy stuff man i hope to be out here with my boys my twin boys uh you know still doing this stuff and teaching them and you know allowing them to have something from, you know, like you said, it's legacy. It's, it's closing the gap on where 
my dad started versus where he put me in and then where I'm going to put my kids, mm -hmm. you know, and so on and so forth. So they, you know, can continue to try to rise to, to the top. I mean, like, are you kids involved with, uh, anything? Do you take them to places or are they seeing what dad's doing? No, right now they, I mean, they come on like my vending machine route and stuff. Cause they'll sit still cause they'll get candy at the end. Or, but, <laughs> uh, 90% of the day they think they're Godzilla and Tyrannosaurus Rex <laughs> running around my <laughs> all day at my house and making my brain melt. So like, no, uh, but they will be. So you should, uh, listen to the podcast a couple weeks ago. And uh, we had the Eccles family on, on. I don't know if you know, ever heard about the Eccles. They spoke at a re-event, though, too. And uh, I think they were episode, like, 44, maybe. Oh. And uh, But just check it out. Uh, she started working with her dad at 11 years old. Now she's 15. They've been on multiple national stages. She's been on national podcasts. And she's an integral part of the father-daughter uh, flip combo. I bet she's her knowledge is further along than most 20 yeah, for sure. Investors, you know, so so that's what I hope for my kids. But I'm still working to get there to be able to teach them. I was uh, there was a young lady that showed up to a real estate meetup I attended last night, and uh, she's 18 and she's trying to become a real estate agent because she wants to start investing. But nobody in her family's ever done investing. Leslie Hernandez, and she's like, uh, but you know, I think that this she has this mental block about age. And she's like, nobody in my family's done this. You know, no, nobody in my family's got wealth. You know, I'm trying to create this new legacy and start, you know, start fresh. Uh, my family thinks I'm crazy. And, I, but age is holding me back. So I'm 18. I'm going to go ahead and get my Iowa real estate license now and I'll get my Nebraska next year. And she's already attending the, all of our meetups. She's watching our RIA pages. She coming to my, uh, my realtor team meetings and learning. But I actually put her in front of, uh, Riley Eccles. And said, hey, you two need to just talk. And I know that she's younger, but there's only three years between you two. And you guys need to, you know, give some advice on where to go. And I go there and, and don't let age be your hurdle. You know, just, just get involved. Like, my, you know, our kids, they go with us to properties. He lets his kids swing hammers at the walls, you know, just, yeah. to, just to get involved. You know, uh, we name houses after my children. So they, 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 they feel like the, that that's their home you know they, they have pride in it. oh what's going on at the carson house right now yeah, you know that's, that's cool so yeah no, that's we yeah it's one of our whys for doing this so that's always like to find out yeah what else doing i hope to have my kids involved like i said i'm i'm going to give them the opportunity to take over whatever whatever it is i can build and if they choose not to that's fine i'll support them go off in your journey but no, you're not getting none of this when I'm going. Hey, uh, to wrap up kind of on the uh, portfolio and investing talk, what what do you see in the near future for you? Do you really – are you still gravitating towards single-family homes? Are you going to buy more flips? Uh, are you going to get into apartments, industrial, any any type of uh, different, you know, things you're going to try and, you know, move into? I know Sam and I – are wanting to get into multifamily and uh we had we had a flip that we got going in benson uh that was going to be you know w would be a home run if we sold it uh to really put us in the game for having a really nice down payment at getting a sizable multifamily but I called an audible on them, and it's a great house, and it's going to be completely brand new, plumbing, electrical, You're keeping drywall, it. and so, yeah. You're I'm pulling the Ted. Yeah, it's it's twice the size of my little crab shack, celebrity <laughs> homes house that I live in, and I'm going to let the 
business have that house in exchange for you know and getting square and then we'll move on to the next one so i don't know if we're going to get a flip next or if we're going to try to buy uh you know our last three deals have been all off market so uh through wholesalers or uh one came because my neighbor across the street knows that i invest and they were moving to illinois for a job and Needed money, down payment to build the house, but also needed to live in Nebraska still until they moved. So I bought their house for less than it was worth. Rented, we, we rented it back to them. And then their sister wanted to do the same thing. She wanted to move into a retirement home, but still live there. So she sold us her house for below market value, rented it back from us for a discounted rent. And both of them are moving out here within the next couple of weeks, finally, but yeah, so it was just kind of word of mouth. Like my neighbor knew we made a deal. His sister wanted to make a deal. We did the sister, and then uh, my buddy who was helping me do the labor on flips girlfriend came up with this Benson house. Now you mentioned in passing a few times already that you were able to buy properties off market by simply talking to neighbors. Do you do that intentionally? No, or is that just conversations and it comes up and you're telling your story and they're like, Oh yeah, yeah. Andre. Uh, yeah. I guess he buys houses. So they just check with you before they end up listing it or whatever. I guess that's kind of how it worked out. It's, it's mostly, you know, I'm a new face. I'm living in the neighborhood. Uh, folks start asking questions, you know, I, I'm sure they noticed that I'm home a lot. I mean, I was a stay at home dad for five years, you know, with my kids, I'm home all the time. You know, and and then I don't leave at night for a job. They probably think I was a drug dealer or something. You know, so I'm like, no, you know, I own some some rentals, and you know, I played basketball professionally, so you know, I don't have to work. But, yeah, so know, that cuts so. down on them watching you with binoculars. Out yeah, there. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, you know, <laughs> he he just ended up. He just was just like, hey, Andre, I'm going to sell my house. You know, we're moving to Illinois. Yeah. I took another job. Do you want to buy it? You I know? I I think this is really interesting though because. You're you've been able to pick up, um, and I know you mentioned you sold some stuff. So you've got you have the six rentals uh, on your own. You've got the three with Sam. Yep. You've uh, bought some flips. You've uh, got the vending route and all that. And then you've bought several of these just by just through conversations, which yeah. I think is something that not many people actually put any effort into. And it doesn't sound like you did that necessarily intentionally or with nope. a plan to it, yeah. but it just goes to show you. It's kind of like Johnny Appleseed. You go out there and you sprinkle enough, you know apple seeds around you're going to get some trees eventually yeah. somewhere it's crazy uh, so tell, tell people what you do tell people what you're interested in and you never know if you might you might be able to buy a property or two out of it Definitely. well i mean we all have a niche i mean like every property i've got um except my one family property i've gotten from networking you know it's all come through the honestly every property i have is through the ria group even before i was running it so okay you know for me it was networking that's how i got properties uh you know you it was uh what, what your first what 2030 how'd you get all those with the mls or what they were at, well that was a different time then though but yeah, yeah most of mine were foreclosures the first ones i bought foreclosures, okay. but i i got relationships going with uh listing agents of reos yeah. so that's how i got that's how i got going so we all we all i mean everybody's got their niche you just gotta find what works for you and then yeah. and then keep on picking it right yeah, yeah we're we're, I'm, we're still learning like i said it's kind of been different uh a, a little bit of a pivot since taking on a partner you know it's made yeah less work for me but 
you know, kind of also makes you think a little more about, you know, what what direction you're going on. It, it's less work, but more accountability. Yeah. Right. So yep. you can't let yourself slide on some things because you don't want to let your partner down. So you exactly. kind of have to be on your game. Exactly. Right. Yeah, it's like motivating almost like, you yeah. Know, hold, yeah. Definitely hold yourself accountable. Hey, one, one thing I want to ask you. Um, so you looking back at your early days in learning about real estate and before you even got involved in it, like what what advice would you give a younger Andre that maybe was just getting started? How could you have shortcut your growth path more than what you, you know, what you did in your recent, you know, history? Uh, learn more first mm-hmm. before you go out and buy stuff. Like I just jumped in and it worked out. Said I, I probably had fourteen properties before I started to like understand. Okay, that one wasn't a bad buy, but that one isn't as good as these six. And you know, let's get rid of that. And you know, started kind of yep. weeding out the not so great ones. This one was a great deal, but the HOA is gone up four hundred dollars. You know, since you owned it, yeah, maybe not buy. You know, something with such a volatile HOA, and you know, just just learn more with. The amount of money I was able to spend cash-wise uh, over the first six years of investing, had I just kept it, learned more, and even if I was buying in the higher end of the market, like the last couple years, I probably could have, you know, had fifty units, you know. Or yeah, something. you probably could have had a, like a five million dollar property yeah, or something like, like that. Yeah, easily. I mean, by so, lever by yeah, leveraging, leveraging. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, just learn. Yeah. Don't be afraid. <clears throat> probably, probably you would just like sat down, took some, took some advice from that old roommate that had those two hundred fifty yeah, properties. Yep, keys yeah. out. Yeah. I bet, I bet he could have uh, really schooled you and, and put you on the right path a lot faster though, too, huh? Yep. You know what I did instead of sitting down and learning more from him? Party. Yep. I just stopped coming back to the room as much. Like I'm like, all right, you know, when I'm gone, I'm gone. And when I'm coming back, you're like grumpy old I'm bastard. Back. Whatever. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, going to the club. He's just mad because he's old. <laughs> have you reached out to him? Zelly, no, uh, he's gone in the wind. I mean, he was very, you know, like closed off even to his teammates. He's one of the more closed off teammates I've ever had. But, you know, he wasn't like, you know, get the hell away from me. But he was just like, I don't want to talk to you, so don't waste your time talking to me. Okay, it sounds like he was, un- uh, even though he, you didn't learn from him, it sounds like he's still impactful to your life. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. because he was one of the first people you brought up in this conversation. Yeah, I'll remember Zelly for the rest of my life, yep. you know. Yeah. So, Andre, there's a section that we uh, lovingly call Feeling Forward. And this is a section that we like to ask you, is there something that you had that was a learning lesson, like a failure where, you, you know what, I might have failed, but I'm moving forward from that and there's a learning lesson out of that. Do you have a, a business situation, a life situation? Uh, something property. Talk about a prop, preferably a property, but yeah. Yeah, definitely a property example. Uh, it would be this house we're working on in Benson now. You know, the last uh, property Sam and I was able to get together. Uh, I've always, from the beginning, have been against 100-year-old houses, mm-hmm. right? For just because of the age. I'm always just like, no way. They just, they're old. Who wants something that old, you know, right? Everyone my, kinda, kinda everyone in my properties. I, I'm getting uncomfortable. I feel like it's age discrimination, right? but and it kind it kind of was. But you know, because uh, I I was always like, nope, I'm gonna buy. We're buying and holding thirty years. I don't want anything older older than 
15 years and that eventually went to 1970 and then 1950 and now here we are you know i got a 1920 build right that we're doing and uh i'm just like you know i hope everything that i think is bad about 100 year old houses doesn't happen and basically everything has happened right so <laughs> so what, what did you buy this place for uh, 170. Okay, 170, and this yeah. is in Benson, this which is, is in Benson. Yeah. So, um, and, and this Miami is, and you got this from talking to somebody. I got this from so Derek uh, Harper Home Solutions, the guy I was paying to help me do flips, two man jobs, stuff above my skill level. Uh, the contractor, uh, his girlfriend is a realtor, and she had this house come up, you know, kind of off market, whatever. Like, you want to buy it off market, kind of deal. Okay. So. So you paid 170 for it. Paid 170 for it. You know, uh, she's spinning this story of, you know, this house, all of these houses around here, are, you know, are still occupied. You know, the gal I bought my house from, she was in her 70s, was raised in it. Her parents built the house. She got the house from them. She raised her kids in it. Her kids were living there with their kids. And then they bought a house and the parents were like, we're going to move in with them. So. Uh, they move in with them. We buy this house, 170. It's a hoarder's house. Has a little bit of termite damage, all things I know, buying it as is. Uh, yards overgrown. I mean, there's things that were under the yard that you're like, how was there a picnic table in there? You know, like, it, <laughs> right. So uh, we buy that house, and, you know, the first plumber and electrician that we get on the job is like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, if I cut. 35 holes in the plaster i can fish everything through you'll just have to re re repair the plaster and all that all right that sounds like a deal to me you know uh let's do it uh the, you know he disappears after two weeks of you know like we're ready for you to come in everything that is supposed to be demoed is demoed is cleaned out is ready for elect electrical you know just goes goes i, I waste two weeks you know trying to work with him waiting and you know eventually we end up going a different direction uh get somebody quality in there and they're like oh yeah you know if we rewire downstairs upstairs gonna be ungrounded this and that you know you got to do the whole thing all right this is our leave the plaster in place price this is our gut the place price you know we obviously we go with the gut the place price you know uh and then plumbing you know like, there's just a couple things that we need capped off there's like a, a bar that's like they built but doesn't have a drain for it you know like a wet bar but there's no drain that just drains into a bucket i'm like <laughs> cap that right i'm like cap that we're gonna get rid of that anyways first twist just caves in all the galvanized pipe replace all the plumbing right all right oh boy no problem replace all of that so uh and then it's just like all right so you know part of me it was being greedy i'm like man i really wouldn't want to spend you know, eight grand adding. Well, I want to add the bathroom, but I don't want to replumb the whole house. Uh, three extra grand, five grand, add the bathroom, three grand. Might as well replumb the whole house. All right. Electrical, you got to replumb it. I wasn't planning for 13 grand in plumb or electrical. Uh, not a big deal. You know, uh, bought the house right anyway. So then we, you know, that's plaster, that's insulation. We get the whole thing gutted. And there's obviously been raccoons living in this place for oh, years and years because they had a soffit over the front porch open. So it'd go up right in, you know, we got the whole house. I'm thinking it's not coming back. 
I go over there to check on the progress one day and, you know, it's at the end of the working day, you know, and I'm walking around the house and all of a sudden I just start hearing some sneezes and I'm just like, is somebody in the house, like a cat or something, you know, squatting in here, I'm creeping around with a shovel. (laughs) Don't find anybody. I stand in the room. All of a sudden I hear two sneezes. There's a raccoon in the rafter. Raccoons are back to hang out. So, I mean, like it's just been absolutely everything that I thought could go wrong with it. I wanted to save, save the shed. Turns out the carpenter ants, carpenter ants had gotten in the shed header and, you know, like Swiss cheese. Yeah. Swiss cheese. And you couldn't see it from the outside really, but I just, you know, I I hit it with a hammer when I was up there replacing sheathing. And all of a sudden it was just like a swarm of ants came out of there. I was like, oh, ended up ripping that down. But so the failing forward part of it is, uh, I've since turned a 102-year-old house into a brand-new house that my family is going to get to occupy and enjoy. And, you know, I, luckily I got a great partner who was okay with that, and we're going to turn my current house into a, a rental, yeah, which is on the same street of a house that we already have a rental on. And, you know, so I, win-win. I, I, you know what? There's a reason why I buy houses that need everything. Because <laughs> it's easy. Because you know? it's easy to budget. Yeah. I, like, I know it needs all plumbing. I know it needs all electrical. And <laughs> the, the biggest thing that I've taken from that is, one, the skill set of learning how to replace termite damage, uh, you know, what plaster looks like, and then just not being afraid of a 100-year-old house. Like, oh, it's really not that bad to have a house replumbed or rewired or you know, like as long as you have a house that isn't falling down, like it's gonna be, it's gonna be all right. Like, well, you can buy hundred year old properties now. It's opened up a completely new market for my partner and I because we're not afraid anymore. Of it. Yes, I, I like that a lot. I like what you said there, and it's it's the scare, uh, scariness of the unknown that yeah. that is uh, makes it a much more frightening yeah. than what it actually ends up being. So, yep, cool, good for you. So um, I think uh, Ted, we're to that section at the end that we like to call the ot with owen with owen and ted oh we got a voiceover right we're almost out of time let's get into the ot with owen and ted yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right in the ot with owen and ted we like to fire some questions at you andre so let us know what you got all right all right all right first question for you how are you able to change your mindset to get started in real estate investing uh i just took a leap i said if I don't do something with this money I'm making playing basketball, then I'm going to waste it and I'm going to have nothing to show for it. And that'd be worse than, you know, trying. So I just just did it. Jumped in. Jumped in. Yeah. Bought bought a place. uh, Frustratingly, uh, you know, I had like 400 grand in the bank and we're trying to get a mortgage just for a couple of years to help my wife uh, build her credit because she'd never had credit, scholarships, parents paid for everything, phone and all of that. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were like, oh no, we can't do that. Sorry. You know, so, uh, but yeah, jumped in, jumped in. All right. <clears throat> so besides basketball, mm. what passions and hobbies do you have? Uh, basketball, my kids, uh, competing in anything, you know, you challenge me. I, I might have never done it before. I might be experienced at it, but you know, I just like competing. That's that professional sports side of you. Yeah, well, I, that's probably a reason why I was able to play professional sports is because I like to compete that much. So Ted was saying something about uh, maybe uh, challenging you to a Modelo shotgunning contest. 
Was uh, that uh, Modelo Chilada sponsored yeah. by? He, he, he'd probably win that, but uh, if we're doing like <laughs> if we're doing like beer pong or something, I know I can get. Oh one. yes, I think we need to have a re sponsored event for beer pong. There, there was a time that I went to Vegas, just so you know, oh, and geez. it's only happened once. But we're out there for my thirtieth birthday, and uh, we're playing some beer pong. You know, and when you have a couple drinks, things just flow a little better. Yeah. And I did have a game where I sunk every single pong on the first shot. The zone. No way. Bam, bam, bam. I, I did, the never zone. Had, yeah, I was just there. Cups felt like they were the size of a pot, huh? <laughs> just never going to miss. I can't go over the bets we had, but it was super fun. And we had some fun bets on there that some people were playing against. <laughs> I, so I have, a, I have a good buddy of mine that um, has three parking spots, uh, really good ones, uh, at, at the uh, Husker games, right? So, And he's got this huge trailer that has like a flip down thing with a big screen on it and a whole setup of like a bar and he's got like a place for a keg i mean it's awesome Man, so i've been to, got some yeah money. i know yeah so i've been to this uh, multiple times so i always go to a game every year a couple of games with them and they have they they have this thing called uh beer darts you ever you ever heard of this Mm-mm. so they have steel tip darts like the legit old school ones you know and uh he made this like it's kind of picture like two steps so it's made out of wood and on the middle or on the on the top of the first step, there is a circle, and then you put a, a can of beer in there, a full one, right? And you it's unopened, and you set it there, and you you put one chair on each side of the step, and then you have the exact same setup on the other side. So you're playing against another couple, basically. And you take turns throwing these darts, right? And wherever you hit, so like say, Ted, uh, picture this. So if you hit the can right here, right, there's going to be beer that like starts spraying out of it. You have to grab the can and put your mouth on it where where the uh, spray is coming out. And you drink it to where it's not coming out anymore. And then you throw your other darts, right? And if you hit it again, and if you if you hit the bottom, it's called a kill shot. So you have one right below. And you have to shotgun the whole thing, right? So not to brag, but we won... 12 games in a row. We were undefeated. <laughs> 12 and 0. But here's the thing. When you win, you're actually losing also. <laughs> that was a long day. But uh yeah, good times. My my, my college game was beer die. Oh. So you yeah, you the you have the dice, you, you hit it and then you go up and they had to bounce one time, it hits the cup. That's a point, you know, or if it landed in the cup, they had to drink yeah. it. So that was our game was beer die. You ever heard of hammer schlagen? I think you talked about it once. No. On yeah. You have to throw this like, uh, what what is it like a little sledgehammer like thing, and there's nails all the way around this oh, yeah. like tree trunk or you whatever. And you have to throw it up yeah. there and pound it in. So I wanted that also, but yeah, I'm just good naturally, mm, naturally guys. gifted beer athlete apparently. Okay, <laughs> I got to get some friends with some more money. It sounds like <laughs> <laughs> just hang out the basketball buddies. Though. All right, so Andre, what uh, do you are you are you a podcast guy? Do you listen to uh, podcasts? You yeah. got any favorites? Uh, I mean. Bigger Pockets is one that has you know endless amounts of content. Sam has since turned me on to listening to you guys. Uh, Thanks, Sam. You know, and then uh, we'd mo- like a review, five yeah. star preferably. You know, mostly sports stuff. You know, uh, I yeah. listen to. And then uh, do you like barstool sports? Yeah, I love barstools. Actually. Yeah, they're, they're funny, great characters, and yeah. it's like they're serious about sports, but they don't take their commentary about sports so seriously. Yeah. I had a buddy that made uh, that he played in a barstool sports uh, golf tournament and uh, it came down to a putt off. They had like a tie or something like that. And he missed a pretty short putt and it like broke off. And then you hear somebody in the background. There's like all these people surrounding him. They're like, Nice leg putt like that, you know, because it was totally yeah. close and whatever. It was hilarious. Anyway, had to see it. It's on Twitter. Yeah. Barstool Sports used to make 
one of my favorite shirts that I would wear while in Europe. It said, too big, too strong, too fast, too American. <laughs> uh, and nice. Be, and it'd be Barstool Sports on the back. Okay, here's a good question for you. Um, one of your friends, family, another basketball player approaches you, and they want to get started in investing. Is there a book that you would suggest to them or put in their hands? Uh, what is it? Million Dollar Real in, real Estate Investor. Is that that? But Gary Keller? Gary Keller the, book. The Millionaire, yeah, millionaire Real Estate Investor. Yeah, yep. yep. Millionaire Real Estate book. Investor. Because you said that was uh, one I was putting in your hands, right? Yep. That was one of the early ones. Uh, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, obviously. I don't think I have come across anything that anybody has mentioned before. Uh, most of the reading I do, man, is to, like, take me out of this world. Mostly, mm -hmm. like you know, so oh, like sci-fi stuff, sci-fi stuff, yeah, I love like that biopic stuff. You uh -huh. know, like something where I can get lost in somebody else's problems that they're experiencing in that moment. You know, type. cool. So, uh, all right, um, what are what are you looking for in your business right now? Are you looking for properties, uh, partners, deals? Uh, I got a partner. We're always we are now always looking for deals, and since I've uh, snatched this current one out from under him, we're definitely will be looking for a next one. So. Okay. Any parts of town in particular? Uh, at this point, no. I mean, we're we're. I think we're busting all our parameters that we previously had of no hundred year old houses, none in this area, none in that area, and you know, it's just going to be about trying to get deals that make sense. That's one of the best things that Sam has brought to our partnership is like the ability to look at things from a numeric standpoint and and understand that people need to live somewhere. All the yeah. time. So if you can buy something for the right price, you know, you can always make money off it and make it work. So. Nice. Any shout outs you'd like to give friends, family, partners? Just Sam, Sam, my partner, the Susan Guth. Uh, I mean, uh, that's my that's my guy. And then we got, you know, Harper Home Solution has been big help. And Tunez Constructions, a big help to me. Uh Kevin Fletcher, Fletcher Real Real Estate uh, out in Denver. Thanks for pushing me over the edge, and and then of course Kizel Wesson. Wherever you're at, man, you know I know you're rich. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome! Hey, thanks so much for coming in, Andre. We really appreciate your time and uh, all the knowledge you shared today. Loved hearing your story, man. Super cool stuff. Living in Europe and all the oh, yeah, all yeah, the. Yeah stuff that you've done that's outside of you know what is normal to most people so again thanks for coming in yeah, love my, having you my european basketball stories will have to be saved for a real estate meetup we'll make a we'll make a rated uh pg-13 uh episode maybe we can come yeah. back and get, get some of the good stuff right? <laughs> we'll, we'll have to put you on our uh our pop-up uh lunch uh text blast there you go so, yeah yeah good idea yeah and then we can talk a little bit about that um i gotta tell you uh one thing that was really um my one one big takeaway from this podcast, and we'll probably talk about this in the intro, was uh, you and your family, uh, and I'm, uh, just what you've done for um, changing the generational uh, plan for for your siblings, your cousins, your your mom. Um, I just uh, I, I found that really inspiring. So I appreciate it. Thanks for thanks for being vulnerable and uh, and open up and and talking about that stuff. I appreciate it. Like I said, it's. It's less for my siblings and more for their kids, man. Like, you know, so yeah. it's like, yeah, all you got to do is see something different than what you used to seeing. And you know that 
more is possible for you. You're changing the path, bro. Yes, sir. So thank you. Thank you very much. Um, you're absolutely amazing. I thank you for this. Uh, I, I look forward to getting to know you better. Um, I hope to see you at some future meetups. Yes, sir. Um, and uh, we can continue these conversations. If you're listening to us for the first time, we'd love to get you to write us a re- review. Uh, especially if you're on the Apple podcast format, give us a five star review. If it isn't five stars, it's all good. You don't need to worry about leaving it. You can just, uh, uh, just, just shoot us a, me- a messenger and why we're not five star and we'll work on that. Um, you can find my, uh, you can find the Ria, uh, the, this Ria podcast at Ria radio on Instagram. Look us up. You can find Owen at odog2424. You got it. And uh, and then if you are looking to do a podcast in the future, uh, Dentless, our producer, is a great guy to reach out to. And uh, you can always reach out to him. His information is always in our show notes. And thank you, Dentless, for everything you do here. Um, and with that, Owen, we see us out. On behalf of Dentless Bertrand, Ted Kosh, I am Owen Dashner. You've been listening to Rio Radio and Andre Breaking the Cycle Smith. <laughs> Thanks for listening. That's good. That might, that might be the best. <laughs>